Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, July the 9th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. What's up? And Mr. Bob Ryer. Achtung. Danger. <laughs> What's so dangerous, Bob? World Cup. It's true. Oh, it did, was it today? <laughs> no. No, it's not today, Tomorrow. right? Tomorrow's the match, right? Uh, Germany and France. Right? Germany, no, they beat France. Oh, already. that's right. We already were Germany, in the, we're Brazil. In four. That's right. We're into the the semifinals. Semifinals. Germany, Brazil, and Netherlands. What's and the other side? Argentina. Argentina. So I think everybody, but I think Argentina was the only one I got wrong about going through. So it's pretty good from our predictions from yeah. last from last week. Um, so Stephanie is once again now with us. She is off on the West Coast, still gallivanting and having a, a grand old time. Road trips. Canada Day never ends for Stephanie Cook. Canada Day is like every day, man. It's true. Every day is Canada Day for Stephanie Cook. Um, things sound a little different. We're, uh, we're hanging out on the couches today. Uh, it's hot in New York, and my apartment is hot in general. So we want to leave the air conditioner on. So if you hear a little noise in the background, apologize. But we would have sweated out, and my poor fiance, who has to stay upstairs while we podcast, would have been dying. So Can't have that. You stay in your room. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! No comment. <laughs> no comment. No comment. Uh, so we are sitting on the couches, and we're going to talk about some comic books. Um, we have some books of the week to get through, obviously, and we're going to do a little discussion about the um, the controversy. And I said, in big quotes, the fire Rick Remender controversy that happened, which I think will be a different discussion than whether or not Rick Remender should be fired. It's a discussion about the internet and how it reacted to essentially nothing them internets yeah so we'll talk about that a little bit later um some little bit of news to get through as well and then um we have a few more interviews from special edition new york city that steve did that we will uh, be putting up as well on the show so um we will have a a full feature show for you guys today um before we get into the the, we'll talk about recommender after we talk about the books before we get into any any of the negative news Mm. um a couple cool things happened um today we learned that Brandon Routh, who is the star of Superman Returns, and obviously has been Scott Pilgrim, was in Zack and Mary Make a Porno, and um, Dylan Dog, Dead of Night. Yeah, uh, God, I forgot <laughs> what about happened that? to that. Uh, I watched that. It wasn't very good. Yeah, uh, he uh, um, he has just announced that he's been cast in Arrow as Ray Palmer, ah. uh, and mm. it will mark the first successful live action depiction of the character um roth himself was uh, ralph was was quick to find out that that adam was in that horrible justice league pilot yeah that, 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 that happened. never came out it never came so, out yeah. to air um but he will be playing ray palmer the adam who will be the primary guest star of the next season apparently will be now the new president of queen consolidated um because mm. oliver lost it in the, in the last season yeah um and he apparently will probably be a, a love interest for felicity that is what Ooh. was on the was in it was in the cards good for felicity <laughs> 
So, um, um, Bob, I know you're a big fan of the Atom, right? Why don't yeah. you give us a little, just a little bit of a, a primer on who the Atom is? Well, he was a college professor back in the old day at Ivy College. Mm. Yeah, I think it was Ivy Town. I, I don't even remember anymore. He finds a piece of white dwarf star material and puts it in his belt, basically, and can shrink down to whatever size he wants while retaining his human strength. Hmm. Oh. Which is handy to have when yes. you're, you know, half an inch tall and can mm. punch someone in the face. Right. <laughs> That's an interesting character to choose for that show. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. can do a lot of cool things in the old Justice League books. He would show up at their meeting. They had a cave where they where they met. Wow. They'd phone him in. He could make himself so small he could travel on the electrons in the phone line. Mm. I don't know how you could do that with cell phones in this day. You still need the <laughs> phone line, but... Great character lasted a very long time. They had uh, there was a mini series where he was sort of stuck, and with Gil Kane, it was sort of the Atom, mm. sort of sword and sorcery at the subatomic level, which was kind of neat. Okay, <laughs> he, interesting. You know, uh, it's G- Jean Loring was his girlfriend back in the day, and she turned bad. And isn't she? She's one of the women in Fridge Is poster she? girls, I believe. I did so, not yeah. know. I did not know this. Yeah, mm. interesting. She's turned into a murderer and all sorts of oh, okay. terrible things. Oh, just oh, cause yeah, she, yeah, just because yeah. she could from identity yes. crisis mm-hmm. right yeah, yeah 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 yes 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 i'm it's not a spoiler i think it's like 10 years old so right. <laughs> i think it might be i haven't older read than, it yet i man. think it might be older than that actually now what does queen <laughs> industries do in this show is it a science-based thing or is it just yeah yeah generically a company yeah no it does science-based stuff i mean it, you know it does the whole kind of like you know stark industries thing where it sort of like has some dodgy um stuff that it does but he doesn't really know but they do like technology and they have the whole warehouse of like tech and stuff i just realized that i've been watching the show for two seasons and when he asked that question i didn't know the answer (laughs) (laughs) that is so weird well the few i've seen i didn't get an answer which is why i asked the question yeah yeah yeah, no it definitely is like an applied sciences place okay so it's a perfect place for ray to be working and who knows what's down in the warehouse corner like indiana jones i never see anybody doing any actual work for queens (laughs) because i think talk about it a lot but they never actually do anything in that uh, in the flash episode like the the ones with barry when they come to investigate like the disappearance of that stuff yeah that's at a queen consolidated facility Okay. okay so um yeah so i think it's cool i mean I think it's more evidence of them digging deeper into the into the DC continuity, and it's bringing in characters that they can use, and um, that uh, you know he hashtagged Brandon Ralph the Atom in it. So I don't think it's it's not going to be Ray Palmer. It's going to be he's going to have the powers because obviously they have certain interesting powers nice. now. Um, so it's I think it's really exciting. I think it's exciting for that character to be the next big thing. I honestly thought it was going to be Ted Cord because they've been yeah. ta- they've mentioned him several times on the show as like a friend of. Um, a friend of Oliver's father's. So I, I assumed that that would, he would show up at some point, but I mean, I'm sure he still will, but I think it's very, very cool for them to dig into this. And I think Brandon Routh is a cool actor. I think that he, I think he gets a lot of guff for, you know, Superman returns, but I think in everything else, he's kind of shown that he is a charismatic, um, interesting actor. Oh, yeah. uh, he's really good on Chuck too. He's really, really good. He had a guest spot on that for about a season playing kind of like a, a super agent. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 So really, really cool stuff. Um, I like. Nope. I've seen him on like a couple of funnier dies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. He's a really funny dude. Yeah, he is a uh, really funny in Scott Pilgrim. Yes, mm-hmm. that's the guy the way here. Yes, tell the cleaning lady on Monday to clean you up. <laughs> now, does. using the atom on like the show, hair. will it preclude his use in a movie somewhere down the road? Um, I don't know. I, who knows? Because we're we're just right getting into this. I think we're a lot more at Comic Con, obviously, about 
what is to come with the DC universe as far as cinematic goes and what movies they're going to do. We heard that rumored slate, obviously, yeah. um, with Shazam and all that stuff. And the, and the Green Lantern Flash team-up movie was mm-hmm. one of the thing, things on there. Um, obviously, they're already doing the Flash in in TV. Yeah. So it's it, it stands to reason that you would think they might use Grant Gustin as the character. But I, I believe today Stephen Amell said that he would not be in the movies i mean i don't know if he just uh-huh. meant like i'm not in justice league like, so we don't even know if green arrow is in justice league so who knows mm. um but i don't know i don't well have to see i mean i, I doubt that they're never going to use deathstroke in a movie or they're never going to use you know um uh razal ghoul in the movie or whatever i so i i assume that you're gonna you're gonna see those characters in movies as well um but i think it's cool that they it's a place for them to put these characters and that show has in the last two years done very right by the characters it decides to apply itself to so i think you can get um, a pretty good depiction of the character and it's funny they Hmm. somebody put up a picture of one depiction of ray palmer Hmm. and they looked almost identical the hair was styled exactly the same it was it was very cool and he was kind of fun loving in his time so his personality Mm. should fit with that yeah yeah, yeah, we haven't seen uh, Ra's al Ghul in Arrow yet. Not yet, but they've mentioned him several times. Yeah, yeah. And I, apparently, I, I heard. I mean, look, I don't know if this is this is a, at all a, a reliable source, but Neil Adams was on the the Kevin Smith podcast again, and he was talking about the Green Arrow guys, and he was saying that um, th- they're really good about um, you know taking feedback. Like they asked they went to the Comic Con, they asked him like, "What do you think's wrong with the show?" And he, and he told them everything <laughs> that he thought was wrong with the show, and he's like, "Some of the stuff they changed." You know, and and I don't know if it's because of me, but I think they listened to feedback. And he said he said something about how he heard that they were casting Razal Ghul. Um, so we'll have to see what what happens with that. But pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. And this also comes off the back that we heard that Jeff Lemire is leaving uh, Green Arrow after issue thirty five. Um, he said on Twitter that it was his and Sargento's choice. Like this was where they wanted to end their run. Yeah. Um, but um, Andrew Kreisberg and Ben uh, Sakolaski who are both writers and executive producers. Um, uh, Sokolowski is a writer and Kreisberg is an executive producer on Arrow. Okay. And they're taking over the Green Arrow book for DC. Kreisberg mm-hmm. has written a few a few comics before. Um, he wrote uh, Vibe, or like or one of the, that short-lived DC series. Um, but we actually talked about this, I think, before, I think it was before the show last week. Mm-hmm. You asked about... Um, making the book closer to the the show to sure. get people onto the book do you think it's a good idea to to kind of bring that voice in you almost have to at this point the book has now passed through a couple of different hands and even though this run was well received mm-hmm. it's gone so quickly that did they ever build up enough momentum sales wise because it really right. wasn't doing very well mm-hmm. if you get some new people to comics i i don't think that you should have that should be the tail wagging the dog all the time mm-hmm. but if you can create something that's in between Mm-hmm. You know the TV show is trending more comic-y as it's gone on, right? So there's a there's a, a nice middle ground, I would think, for them to be able to play with the perceptions of people going in either direction. Why not? Right. I mean, they asked them about it, and he and and they said, yes, yeah, some of our favorite Arrow characters will feature prominently in the comic, though they may not necessarily be clones of their TV personas. I think our goal with the comic is to make it an echo of the TV series. It's a way to bridge the two universes. That being said, we're not trying to make this Arrow the comic. That's what the digital tie-ins are for. Mm-hmm. 
He continued, this is more about cross-pollination. How can we incorporate what is working so well for Arrow into the new 52 DCU, while at the same time keeping what makes the original 2D Oliver Queen so special? To that end, Comic Oliver and TV Oliver have distinct voices and attitudes. We'll do our best to keep them unique. We really want to bring the old-school Oliver Queen voice back to the character. In other words, the opinionated liberal Robin Hood-esque hero that has fallen through the cracks a bit, both in the comics and the TV models. Wow. Hmm. Um, Steve, what do you think about Arrow writers taking over the Arrow comic? Uh, I was thinking about this earlier. I think it's interesting. I I hope that it works out. It could be a really cool experiment. I think seeing how the how it's received. Uh, I mean, sales wise, Green Arrow might have done a little bit better. I know that people were really excited with the Sorrentino artwork and mm-hmm. Jeff Lemire writing, but now that they're leaving. Are have people had enough Green Arrow? Are they? You know, I've done that like with Batwoman. When Mark and, and Draco uh, came on, I jumped off. Mm-hmm. So, are is that going to get that audience, that TV audience, to go into the comic shop and pick it up because they're going to want more of the show? The show's extraordinarily popular. Yeah, people love it. I, you know, I was not onto it in the beginning, but then after people told us to watch it, I got into it. I got into it pretty hard. Like I was, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it would be interesting to go into the store and actually pick up Green Arrow because I completely missed out on Lemire's run entirely. I got like two issues, jumped off, and didn't realize, A, how good it was going to get that I've heard, mm-hmm. and just that it was going to go on for as long as it did. Um, so it might be a cool place where I can jump on, and if I'm watching the show and they kind of bleed together in some unique way, uh, that could be really cool. And that seems like a formula that could work to gain new readers. It's At least it's it's like a fresh take on putting a regular comic book on the shelves because I know that when I see the arrow related comic book, like I don't even think about getting it. I don't even mm. think about opening it up to see what the artwork looks like. I completely blow past mm. it. Right. Yeah. So if they're going to take that formula and put it into the mainline book, it, if it works out and it's well written, and did they have an artist? Yeah, it's uh, Daniel Perry, who is the artist on Batgirl, I believe, right, or one of the artists. What he's been on, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, cool. So they have a good artist. I hope well. it works out. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that Kreisberg said, he said, I think the version of Ben and I are going for now is an amalgamation of the TV version and his comic book persona. As our TV partner, uh, Greg Berlanti puts it, and Greg Berlanti is the other executive producer of Arrow. He puts it, at his core, Oliver is an optimist. He believes in people. On the TV show, the optimism is buried under years of torture and suffering, but it's still there. In the comics, he's been a bit more fun, a bit faster with a quip, so we're trying to add some more of the zest for life. Um, so I think, I mean, I think they're saying all the right things, and I think definitely that idea of bringing back kind of that um, Robin Hood-esque, you know, mm-hmm. steal from the rich, give to the poor aspect of the character, which I think, um, it's funny because he's one of the few characters I feel like I mean, the Lumiere run has been a little bit more serious, but I feel like when they brought him back in the New 52 in that first couple of arcs, they were distinctly trying to get away from any sort of seriousness. It was one of the few books that was trying to be... They were trying to almost make him Tony Stark, you know, very... Yeah, a little bit. Very yeah. sarcastic, you know, very wry smile, but, like, you know, a little bit of edginess underneath. Um, which is funny, because you'd think that they would have gone almost the way the show was, right? Because the, the rest of the universe kind of filled itself out. Um, so they got they got rid of that social crusading for a different reason i think they've gotten rid of a lot of other aspects of the characters that either for good or bad that we miss or we don't miss it's interesting that they were they're going to bring it back and kind of address that stuff a, a little bit more yeah he was always edgy but it was an edgy uh, it was outrage yeah right over yeah. what was going on not edgy for the sake of being snarky yeah i think that maybe dc's trying to like get their hawkeye going on yeah i think that i think that dc is definitely what i what i've seen we talked about gotham academy last week when you were in yeah, here yeah, right yeah. 
I think that they are trying to diversify a little bit now. I think they're starting mm-hmm. to see with the depreciation of a, of a lot, like happens in all comic books, the sales going down and down and down. I think they're saying, look, to themselves, we we did this thing and it's working for some books, but I think we need to try something else for some other books to try to boost them back up again. Yes. Um, and we'll have to see you know, how that works out for them. The thing is, when I think about Oliver Queen, the thing I think about most... Um, is in Dark Knight Returns, you know, when he's like the one-armed Oliver mm-hmm. Queen, but he's still, he's kind of like this um, hippie crusader, you know, it's still, in it, and he, he's still messing with the system and, and, and being subversive, but he's just doing it, because you can tell that, I mean, the, the the subtext in that book is that Superman ripped his arm off because he wouldn't stop, huh. you know, being a superhero. Yeah. That's the subtext in, in Dark Knight Returns, um, and that's why Oliver comes to the aid of Bruce and, and helps him out with kind of take with, with beating Superman in, in that book, and so when I think about that's the kind of I think of the core of his character, right? This guy who believes so fervently in what in what he believes in that he's willing to go om- to great personal sacrifice to crusade for people who can't crusade for themselves. Yeah, a- and I look forward to seeing that in the book. I mean, I love Lemire's run. I think it's been very interesting, and it's been, you know, it, it's almost had kind of like that vertigo feel to it, right? That that. This almost feels like it's not part of the DC universe at all. Most of his stuff has not felt like that. I wish those trades would come out faster. I would read it. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish they would do that too because it's a great. It's great to be great to read and trade. And the Sorrentino art is unbelievable. Yeah. So we'll have to see. But I think that this is Green Arrow is an interesting character for them because I think he's 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 a rising star for them. You know, really for the first time in any sort of mainstream avenue. And I I, I want to see how they handle it, you know, going forward. Yep. It sounds like they have the right vibe. They're looking at O'Neill and Adams. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's classic right mm, there. Yeah. Um, if I can, just want to say I am super, super excited about that Gotham Academy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it looks Clooney. great. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm, I'm so there. Yeah. Scott Snyder was talking about it in an interview on CBR, and he was saying that he, that's the, that series he's really been, like, on the ground floor, like, Building it up with Becky uh, nice. Clunin since since the start, and he said he he said he's he's really excited for everybody to All see. All right, it. Um, there was a little bit about the Arkham Manor. Yeah, he yeah a little bit in that too, where he yeah. talked about it, and he couldn't really say too much because there's a little blurb that said DCPR. Yeah. I was like, don't say anything because there's an event coming. But yep. said it spins out of Eternal is really where the events come out of, uh, and hmm. and it's and it seems like the government re- repossesses Wayne Manor for some reason. Yep. That's that's how it yep. becomes. It's the only Arkham place Manor. big enough to house some of these bad guys have you yeah. been reading eternal at all uh, you know i read the first six issues and then exactly what happened i yeah. thought it was gonna happen it overwhelmed me yeah to the point where i was like I, I fell behind by three or four issues and i just stopped buying it because i was like i don't want to stockpile these if i'm never going to read them yeah. i wonder if they're gonna try to like expedite the process of putting the trades out so people can catch up on that because that would be a real shame yeah if they did that that six month stuff that they normally do you would hope that especially with that yeah i, I were they coming out day weekly you yeah. would think that, I mean, at least every other month have a collection coming out for fourteen ninety nine or whatever. But yeah. if two weeks after the sixth issue came out, yeah. you had the, uh, honestly, it should be a paperback, not a hard, $25 hardcover. Honestly, if they ch- if they change their release schedule for trades, I would be reading a lot more DC titles than I am. Yeah, yeah, I wish they would too. And Because I, I always think that even more than Marvel, I feel like their stuff reads better in trade yeah. than Marvel stuff. I always feel like they're better at the collection. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, and I would love to be reading some of those stories, you know, that that I missed. Um, so yeah, I mean, not to make this the the, the this is the part Arrow podcast, but they also announced mm-hmm. that Devin Aoki, 
um, from Sin City is playing Katana oh, right. in this next season as well, which I, I think is also cool. They're really, I, I love that they're mining kind of that, that, that DC universe mm-hmm. a lot, and she was just featured heavily in the Green Arrow comic, so it, make, it makes sense for her to be part of that universe. But I think she's going to be in the flashback stuff. She's going to be kind of like his new kind of bu- buddy in the, in the flashbacks. His new shadow? Yeah, his new shadow, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like her. She's cool. She's been in a couple of uh, interesting movies. Mm. She was in, I think she was in Dead or Alive. Yeah, she definitely she's was. Debs. She definitely was. Yeah, <laughs> she was Dead she's or Alive. Good, yeah, it's, um, Dead or alive? based on the video game. Yeah, no, it, it was Jamie Sorry. King, right, isn't it? Jamie Presley? Jamie Presley, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, um, Again, not good. Yeah. But, um, well, at, mm, <laughs> it wasn't good, but it was from the people that made Debs, and I really enjoyed Debs, so it had that kind of flair to it mm. i appreciated that but it definitely could have been much better but they weren't exactly mining gold no <laughs> no it better alive making it which was known <laughs> mostly for its boob physics in the xbox 360 days yeah dude yeah. you could actually you can move the slider to make it more absurd than it already was <laughs> so there you go yeah um in their dc news they announced a uh, a new solo series for deathstroke this this week um uh, Tony Daniel, who started out Detective Comics and did a short run on Action Comics as an artist, will be writing and drawing Deathstroke. Um, my question is for you guys, um, and I, 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 obviously this spins right off Arrow as well because that character was hugely popular on that show. It's coming in October. Um, you know, we have no idea what the series is going to be, but it's already had a New 52 series that has been canceled. Yeah. Um, I remember I read the first five issues. It's right. You had reviewed them, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they were not very good. Um, no. He he was fighting like Transformers yeah, at true. the beginning of the run. It was pretty bad. Yeah. So my question, Bob, for you is not if you're interested in reading Deathstroke because who knows how the book's going to be. I think Tony Daniel is a great artist, not so great of a writer. Um, so I think the book will look awesome, mm-hmm. but probably not be that well written. Um, could prove me wrong. My thing is, Deathstroke is a character who's been around for a while. He's been around for 40 years or something like that, I think. Um, hugely popular as a villain in some instances. Um, obviously very big in the Wolfman-Perez T- Titans yep. runs. Um, and a great villain there. A great villain in, in, in several books. Is he a character, do you think, who can support a ongoing solo series with the expectations that come along with that? I think you've got a problem right away with villains as leads. We can see how problematic that's been because what story do you continue to tell? It's hard enough the Punisher, who was sort of an anti-hero, to even get that to work. Straight out villainy, fights people worse than he is. Uh, he can't keep revisiting the Titans, have him beat him up every issue. So right, yeah. He's got to find a really great hook as to where you take the story down mm-hmm. and have it not be repeating five issue arc and the next five end up being the same thing that's gonna be tough go i think yeah i see what do you think i think part of the problem is that you get these characters elsewhere they show up in in some of the bigger books i mean we just had a whole lot of deathstroke in forever evil Mm -hmm. and even though he's a character that that i enjoy i mean i really i enjoyed him on the arrow show when he when i'm reading him in dc comics he's just he's just kind of like chilling out he's just (laughs) there i don't really focus on him Mm -hmm. um his run lasted as long as it did, and then it went away. Uh, I, there are some characters that I just don't think people people are people are, are they they already complain that their pull lists are too big. So when you have a villain character, which is a you know a shaky thing, like right now Cullen Bunn's doing it with Magneto, and it's actually been really really good, and it's surprisingly. Like it's it's working for that villain slash hero slash what you know mm-hmm. whatever he's going through right now. 
Um, but for somebody like Deathstroke, I just I personally am not very interested in what he's doing on his off time unless you can really put a spin on it that makes it unique and, and kind of changes his position because where he is in the DCU, when you're reading him in other books, he's almost like a henchman. Right, yeah. In some instances. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that the draw is there that for people that are already looking to shave their pull lists, a you know villain book that you already have him and others isn't really going to be the biggest draw. You really have to make that book stand out and have it through word of mouth, I think would be your only way to really sell it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because for me, it's not even about like if the book will be great or not. It's just the, it's the fact that I don't think that the book is going to hold up to a mass audience reading it. The first issue might, it's probably gonna have a kick-ass cover by a very well-regarded artist. So the first issue will sell reasonably well, and then it will depreciate very, very quickly. I think that you're absolutely right. The thing, the funny thing about Deathstroke is that a lot of times in books, he is used that way. He's used like the kind of guy they call in and then he does something sort of badass, but it's, it's, he's a hired hand and he is, I mean, he's a mercenary, (laughs) but the thing about Deathstroke is that he's supposed to be, like if Bruce Wayne was a complete sociopath and had no remorse about doing anything, he's that smart. He's that capable. Yeah. And he is a a gray area villain because he's not a straight out. Like I just kill people for fun. You know, he it's, it's a job to him. So it, it, there can be some gray area to play with there. Um, but I think he's already the star of the new suicide squad book, right? So yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. He's the leader of the team. Uh, it's Sean Ryan and Jeremy Roberts. They announced that, um, it's coming this week actually I think it's today okay. the book is out the new Suicide Squad book um, Jeremy Roberts had some art in the Harley Quinn Zero issue uh, so who knows what direction they're going to go with that is the shark still part of the team um, I'm looking at the cover art right here um, here's, here's, no it is no it's Joker's Daughter Deathstroke Black Manta Harley Quinn um, Deadshot and looks like Amanda Waller let so me I'm ask gonna... you this do you think the timing of them giving him a solo book again is a little odd like wouldn't you have wanted to if you were thinking about doing this wouldn't you have done this when he was on Arrow like a participating character or right. do they think that because of the success of Arrow and the two seasons and him being you know the primary villain and a very 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 good one right? that they're trying to capitalize on the popularity and success of a character that although it was awesome in today's fast moving, whatever is already passe and people are already excited and waiting for season three and new stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that that's a good point. I mean, maybe hitting, I don't think they expected the, maybe the character to hit as big as it did with people from the show. Yeah. And also that show last, the first season did well and gained momentum, but this second season was really the place where I think it, exploded yeah totally you know so i feel like they weren't also weren't really aware right. of what it was going to be right so you have to kind of and there was a bunch of rumors about what tony Daniel was going to be doing and you ended up doing this and that wasn't even one of the rumors so i think that this seems to me like maybe they pulled the trigger relatively late and were like we, we need to book out you know because he's so yeah. big right now people are going to want to see where he is I just don't know if he's... I don't think he's the kind of character that can bring you there. I think he's an awesome, fun character, but I want to read him, like you said, yeah. in other books where he's, he's he can be the villain. He can do what he's so good at doing, not where they have to put some weird morality on him. Well, that's the problem. When, you, when they did the Thunderbolts at Marvel years ago, they took B, C, and D-level villains, mm-hmm. and the, the, the crux of that book was they were pretending to be heroes, but they were still villains because Baron Zemo was around. And as the book went on, some of them actually did become heroes. But they were characters you had no investment in, really. They had been in some book you had read 10 years before. Right. And they could, 
almost use them as a blank slate and do what they felt like. It's not as if you're taking the red skull and doing that. If you're right. taking a character that people like as that character to, and then try to tell a different story that monkeys with that, then you lose the character in your other books too. You end up mm. with a double loss. Yeah, it's true. Who's writing that new, uh, what's the team for that new Suicide Squad? Sean Ryan is the writer and the artist is um, Jeremy Roberts. Hmm. Jeremy Roberts, I, the only thing that was listed on the article I was reading was his, he did a, one of the pages in Harley Quinn Zero. Was okay. he the, uh, the talent winner? I'm going to look right now. I, gonna, I, I, the name sounds up. familiar that I think he's the guy who won their contest. I might okay. check that out. I, I liked Suicide Squad for a decent amount of time, at least yeah. for the first two arcs. I thought it was really good. Uh, he was I, the winner of the Harley Quinn okay. talent. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'll tell I'll, when we go to the shop, I'll take a look at that. Yeah. So we can expect to see Deathstroke inside a whale's mouth. <laughs> or, or standing on a roof getting Oh, hit yeah, by that was lightning. the one, the whale's yeah, mouth. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, obviously, it's very, it's, he's it's a, a great very page. good artist. Yeah. yeah, very, very good artist. That's cool. Um, I will so give we'll, it a look. we'll see what it, what it looks like. I, and, and, and then, obviously, we have the new Teen Titan book that's going to launch soon as well. Um, all right, so let's talk about some books. Let's talk about some books. We talk about enough news. We'll get to the recommender thing after we talk about some books. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's do a little lightning round business here. Lightning round, of course, is where we talk about a bunch of books in three minutes. Oh, uh, let me remember what I'm doing. All right. <laughs> you want me to have Bob go first? Ah, it doesn't matter. I'm good. All right. So, Steve, why don't you, you're, you're back. Let's lightning round I'm and back. lightning round go. All right. So, uh, while in Canada, I went to Heroes London and checked out all of their books and picked up a book called Between Gears by Natalie. I'm going to try to get this right. Natalie Narugat. It is a book that is an autobiography uh, about her senior year at college. And if anybody is a fan or uh, like the books of Emmy Town by uh, Emmy Lennox, this is almost exactly like that. Uh, I believe that they're friends. It has that cool black and white and gray uh, tones to it. It's super duper funny. Uh, she's always doing portraits. Like she's obsessed with the show The Office and um, a couple of other things. So you'll see television celebrities and characters show up in the stories and her dreams and stuff like that and um i like these little autobiographical books the idea of being a you know a fly on the wall of a person's life for a year or for a semester at school and just watching them go through the daily things and the the things that they confess through the comics that they wouldn't normally talk about like how she ditches out on courses and how she does it and so she'll draw you the escape plan and she'll have like a bandit mask on and she'll be you know going through the corridors and waiting for the teachers to walk by and sneaking around the corner some more and things like that um so really entertaining it's put out by image and uh they pretty much just took her web comic and threw it into a volume and put it on the shelves and it is quite wonderful i enjoyed it uh so that's between gears by natalie narugat and she does all the stuff she writes and she does uh the art as well so next is Batman Private Casebook by Paul Dini. And I'm going to get out. I, this is so weird, holding the microphone <laughs> and trying to open books at the same time. I, wanna, I don't want to short the writers and or. Okay. Paul Dini is the writer with Peter Milligan, Dustin uh, Nugent? Win. Win? Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I know. It's weird, but it's right. win. Uh, pencils, Derek uh, Friedolfs as inker, John Calise as colorist, and Randy Gentile, Sal, oh my god, Capriano, Steve Wands, and John J. Hill for letters. There you go. 
Uh, this is an awesome collection of Batman stories featuring Ra's al Ghul, the Mad Hatter, Scarface, and the new Ventroquist. This is the new one where the female Ventroquist came in. Uh, Zatanna and Catwoman also guest star in some stuff. It was really neat. Like We've been reading Scott Snyder's Batman for the last couple of, I guess, the last two years or so. And so I've got his moods and his atmospheres and... You know, Greg Capullo's whole bat world in my brain. It was really nice to kind of step away from that, take a break, and read something else. And Paul Dini knows how to write Batman. Um, This is like hardcore detectives. It's almost like five or six one shots. I'm out of time because I read read those names. Um, And it's just the, the stories are super interesting. And the Batman character, he's harsh. Like, he's super harsh. Like, there's a point where somebody that he was after, like, he cornered him, and the guy's, you know, begging for him to not, you know, don't break his arm, don't this, don't that. And Batman just, like, gives him his message and kicks him right in the chest and out of a, of a window of a building. And I was like, damn, Batman's cold. And I haven't really seen that in a while because Batman's been so busy, like, de- deducing stuff and trying to figure out the Riddler stuff that it was really cool to get you know, gritty with him again and watch him go through these kind of one-shot stories with these tremendously cool characters. Uh, And if you can find it, it's a really, really awesome collection. It is Batman Private Casebook. Uh, And I picked this up in a hardcover trade. Uh, I got this for like four bucks. Nice. Yeah, total steal. Uh, I went way over my time, but yeah, guys, check it out. It's awesome. Yeah, you should check out uh, all the Dini Detective stuff is really fantastic. Um, he did, uh, I think, the return of Ra- Rachel Ghoul yeah. um, as well, which was really, really good. Well, I have tons of his stuff in my collection mm-hmm. that I've never gotten to yet. And then after reading this, it kind of primed me to go back into my long boxes and see what I can find. Yeah, I mean, of course, like Mad Love and, and that stuff as well. Yeah. But, but He's sort of like a Mark Waid in that he understands what the core of a character is yeah. and gets right to it with no artifice, no extra words necessary either just yeah. hones right in yeah he spent a lot of his life with batman so yeah yeah um yeah no that's awesome yeah paul but, dini is fantastic did you ever read those oversized ones that dc did no i've never read them i always i see them in fourth world every time i go in there and, yeah. and they look they look gorgeous but that's alex ross art and paul dini is one for each of the major characters it's superman uh, shazam batman wonder woman and they mm. did a justice league too nice um oh one more thing because i don't want this to be an afterthought uh, if you guys are looking for tone as far as the Batman book, it plays out a lot like the animated series. Yeah, I figured as much. Yeah, yeah that would make sense. Yeah, totally um, awesome. Um, cool. Yeah, you know, he's awesome, and he also does. Can't remember the name of the character. He created a character like it's like a winter-based like f- girl superhero. I can't remember her name. Hmm. Right now. I'll have to, I'll no, have to, I don't I'll have to, know that. I have to think about. It. He talks about it all the time when he does interviews, but I can't remember the yeah, name. Villain of it. or hero? Hero. I'm pretty sure it was a. Uh, it was a um, it was an independent thing, and he always talks about it. And it, he t- apparently has like trouble kind of making it or whatever. But it, it's yeah. he apparently loves it. So hmm. his old fifty two just before the chains of Tana was very good too. Oh yeah, I that theory, it, that series is awesome. Yeah, yeah. The Zatanna stuff in here was really cool. This was kind of Zatanna putting Batman to the test and saying, you know, if you wanted to settle down, if you wanted to be with someone, I would be with you. All you have to do is ask. Mm-hmm. And she's she's in a two parter story, so they kind of you really get into their chemistry, and you know you start to think would they work, and then Catwoman shows up. Oh. She's got an issue with them kind of hanging out and solving a crime mm-hmm. together, and um, you know when you talk about people that know how to write the characters, this entire book, the Mad Hatter, Catwoman, 
everybody is spot on. Yeah. He loves Zatanom as much as he loves Batman because he always talks about yeah. it. He talks about you know, writing Batman and how he feels like him and Zatanna and, and Bruce are like kind of kindred spirits, but they can never be together. Bruce would never let it happen because it would give him too much power. Yeah. Oh. And he well, was, that's it, a great take. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jingle Bell is the name of the, <laughs> that's, the, that's the, awesome. the character. It's an Oni Press title. Oh, um, I didn't know we worked for them. Yeah, yeah. He, he, I think that's one of his few creator-owned nice. titles. Mm. Um, all right. So, Bob, you ready to lightning round? Uh, give me a second. I have to assemble do you not, Do you not have... How many books do you have this week in lightning round? Oh, it's only a few. It's only, it's only few. like four. It's not the usual, like, nine? No, but it, we're in a different geography here, so I'm. I'm <laughs> it's gonna, a little hard, right? It's yeah. a little hard, but uh, I'm gonna. If it sounds like I'm reading, it's probably because I am. All right, and lightning round, go. Okay, after last week's show and our whole discussion of Wonder Woman, it just sent me back into the archive. So I'm gonna be talking about the oldest books anyone's ever talked about on this show. <laughs> so with it's All Star Comics number eight from December of 1941. Sweet. And it's Dr. William Moulton Marston and Harry G. Peter. It's actually the introduction of Wonder Woman in this Justice Society story where it's the last chapter. And it's sort of half text as you get some history of Wonder Woman wow. and the Amazons. And then you get the, the start of Steve Trevor crashes on the island. And then just six months later, DC introduced Sensation Comics number one. Oh, cool. Same art team. And now that continues that story. Now, uh, Diana has brought Steve Trevor back to Washington. You can see her meet the real Diana Prince, who's a nurse who works at Walter Reed Hospital, whose identity she borrows and gives Diana money to go to South America and go with her boyfriend, who's got a new job. So that's, you know, you never know that's going to happen. She ends up on stage. The first pilot for the original Linda Carter Wonder Woman is those two stories. Is oh, that the one where she was up on the stage and they were firing the bullets and she was blocking yeah, the other bullets bracers? And, bullets and bracelets. She's picking up cars from bad guys yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. We, we watched that at your place. Yeah. And then in January of 19, uh, summer of 1942, I should say, we get Wonder Woman Comics number one, hmm. which was selling two and a half million copies at its peak, which is pretty darn good. Now, this is the expansion of the origin. So... Diana has dropped a, a parchment that she's carrying with her at the hospital, and the doctors and nurses pick it up and start reading the history of the Amazons, how they uh, were created by Aphrodite to, to be symbols for women, how they overcame Hercules and his uh, treachery in battle, how they founded Paradise Island and all that sort of jazz. And they managed to do that, have baby Diana born from the clay, Steve Trevor all this sort of stuff in 12 pages <laughs> because it was the 40s. Nice. So even more than the 60s, talking about de you know, compression and storytelling, yeah. it was that. That would be two arcs in today. Right. So, yeah. Absolutely. Then I finished off with something from 2002, which is the Wonder Woman 80-page giant annual, which never actually came out back in the 60s when they did it. They were a quarter back then. And what you have here is a reprint of Wonder Woman number 28, which is Villainy, Inc., which is actually the last story Dr. Marston wrote before he died. It's there are prisoners being transferred to Transformation Island where the Amazons reclaim them, make them back into rehabilitated citizens who can do stuff. But Evilis, the slave mistress from Saturn, isn't so happy with what's going on here, breaks loose, sets free all the other prisoners, including Cheetah, the blue snowman, who's actually a woman who dresses like a man. <laughs> and they take... They take Hippolyta and the Amazons prisoner. They send Diana a message. She has to come back to save them, but they're just willing to capture her. 
And they manage all that, and I'm out of time. But anyway, that's Wonder Woman 80-page giant. Sweet. Nice. Nice. Do you have Wonder Woman number one? What? The real book the real, from, the, the, from real. the 40s? Yeah. No, because that would be about a half a million dollars. <laughs> no, the I don't have any Golden Age books except a coverless Marvel mystery. Okay. Okay. Silver Age only for Bob. Silver Age only. So when you go back and you read these early books, mm-hmm. and this is super early. I mean, this is even before you, your time, right? So this is... Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, but I mean like, yes. you, this wasn't like, you know, this this is... I don't know. Did you, you didn't grow up reading these books, I right? I grew up reading the Robert Kaniger, Ross Andrew, Mike Esposito Wonder Womans that were available in the early 60s. The ones that having were seen her in the Justice League, right? Yeah. They were the current books. Yeah. And it was... And I enjoyed them, mm-hmm. fighting dinosaurs and trying to get Steve Trevor to marry her and all this stuff. And it wasn't until I, I ended up seeing a copy in the library of the Ms. Magazine collection that they did of these Harry Peter, William Moulton Marston stories that I knew there was a different Wonder Woman. Okay. There was a little bit in the Jules Pfeiffer great, great comic book superheroes book, and he got a flavor of it, but not enough. It's just the origin sequence here. Seeing that there was a different character entirely who stood for something else, a powerful figure, willing to still try to spread love no matter what else was going on with the god of war and the crazy stuff going on. So I, I've gone back. I now can't read those 60s books. <laughs> because they, they so... Kaniger was... Dr. Marston's fill-in when he was ailing or whatever, and he did some stories and edited some of the book then, it got very, very traditional. Mm-hmm. The books are crazy. They're loopy things with the kangas, the giant kangaroos that can ride around like horses, and they go to other planets <laughs> and dimensions, and there are elephant spirits and all sorts of amazing things going on in this book. The, you know, the, all the mythology stuff we, we talk about now, that whether it was Perez or, or Phil Jimenez or, or certainly Brian Azzarello, it was there. It was there at the very, mm. very beginning. So what happens is it is all now, a, not a rehash because that sounds like I'm, I'm denigrating what's been done. It's, it's just a return to those basics. But the books that Kaniger did after Dr. Marston died were romance books. There'd be Steve Trevor carrying Wonder Woman across the stream and her writing love letters. And eventually Sensation Comics got canceled and Wonder Woman kept going. Now, I saw recently, the I, I told a story last week that Wonder Woman needs to be published four times a year to keep the copyright in DC's hands mm-hmm. and from the changeover from All-American. Apparently, that isn't so anymore, but it just changed in the last five years or so. Gotcha. Their agreement was, has always been in place over all these 50-odd years that if they stop publishing Wonder Woman, they'd lose it. How many is it now? We're going on 75. Ah. <laughs> It'll be 75 years in the year 2016, which is one of my pet peeves about some of the stuff that's going on you'd love in her anniversary year for there to be great wonder woman books now with the new sensation coming out i guess it's in two weeks digitally yeah yep and about four in print that anthology title could be the start of something new let's hope yeah absolutely all right time for my your lightning round my lightning round i'll go for five minutes too, you guys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's all right. It's just the three of us it's today. It's true. It's true. It is. All right. Here we go. Lightning round. Go. All right. So I've got three books to talk about in my lightning round. Um, the first of which is Earth 2, number 25. Um, since uh, Tom Taylor took over this uh, this book, it's been a markedly better experience than it was mm-hmm. before. And this continues to build on that. We have um, 
the emer- we've we've had this emerging new Superman Val for a long time, who's another Kryptonian, um, and he finally kind of takes up the mantle here, pretty hard, and it's pretty awesome. Um, this is the first issue too where he's begun to turn things in favor of our heroes. So we get to see Hawkgirl and the Flash and um, Doctor Fate and and, and uh, I don't remember what the Lady Aquaman is called. Um, Mera. No, it's not Mara. No, this is Earth oh. Two. So she's like Aqu- the Aquaman proxy from Earth Two, um, and uh, Alan Scott, Green Lantern, doing some really awesome, cool stuff. Uh, the book has been really good. This this book was re- this issue was really really kick ass. Um, Nailbiter number three from Joshua Williamson. Ah, I get to read that yet. Uh, with art by uh, Mike Henderson. Um, this is the first time we really start to get into the in t- to know the nailbiter a little bit more and we get to learn a little bit more about him and, and what's going on and there are some seriously seriously disturbing pages <laughs> in this book um really really awesome stuff and the end makes me super excited to read this the next I one i feel like that's coming out really fast just once a month wow All right. yeah um and the last book is superman unchained number seven now um I feel like obviously this book we were talking big about it when it came out and it's kind of been sporadic in its release. We always had a lot of delays, um, but and I kind of picked it up being like, okay, I'm gonna read it and I don't know how excited I'm gonna be, but it was really super fucking awesome, <laughs> like badass stuff. Nice, including at one point Superman kind of has like Gundam armor on. Are you serious? Yeah, oh. I'm totally serious because he's fighting. Um, like the, the General Lane has made these weapons specifically to hurt Superman, so he uses his armor he has in the Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> oh wow look at that <laughs> some Gundam Superman um, and we also have Batman um, fighting uh, Wraith I believe his name is I think is the the other Superman like the you know the um, the one that's the nuclear Superman the that, nuclear man and the nuclear man kind of the guy uh, he's been he, Batman he comes to he realizes Batman helps Superman beat him so he comes to the Batcave and tries to take Batman out and it's a really fun awesome fight and we also get a little, a little Wonder Woman just slamming the bad guy with the giant penny in the back cave nice so <laughs> that's awesome um, that's a cool page and the, the line before it, Batman goes penny for your thoughts oh god <laughs> but uh such a joke super awesome stuff um a lot of fun great Superman great art uh really really enjoyed it I think issue 8 is their last issue so um I look forward to seeing how they resolve everything but really really cool nice really really cool boom Wow. I wasn't even looking at the clock. I wasn't even looking. Wow. Like, perfect on that one. All right, cool. Um, all right, so that's it for the lightning round. Let's get into books of the week. Steve, what do you got for us? What do I have? What do you have? Let's see. Let's see what I got here. Well, we had a question last week, correct? Do you remember who it was? I don't remember. Oh, but Thor. No, I don't remember. It was on Facebook. I can look while you're, while you're doing your thing. All right. Well, we had a listener uh, write in and ask us. Is, is, oh, my God. Ask <laughs> us. You talked like me there for a second. I'm just so. What was that? I don't. I think that was the his, Bob's mic. It sounded like popcorn. I know. It was Bob's mic. Bob's mic freaked out on us. All right. So uh, Thor, God of Thunder. Yeah. Yes. Somebody uh, of the Talking Comic Books podcast is reading it, and it is <laughs> me. And oh my goodness! Mm. Oh my goodness! This book is fantastic fantastic this has been amazing from issue number one we are now uh at issue i've read one through 23 
which is uh, the last couple books, the last arc has been uh, parts one through five of the last days of Midgard. Mm. And the epilogue to this story just dropped last week. I have yet to pick up my books, so I have not read all of it um, per se. But I did read uh, up to through part five. And oh my God, uh, this story features... Rosalind Solomon, she's a new like environmental shield agent uh, working hand in hand with Thor to bring down Roxxon, which is a like a new corporation. Old corporation. It's well, it's an notoriously evil Marvel yeah. corporate entity. Serpent right. crown trying to take over the world. Yeah, yeah, whatever yeah, they yeah. get a chance. Yeah. So they're in, they're in Broxton, and they're they're basically taking over the joint without people knowing how they're doing it they're doing a lot of you know seedy under like things that take a long time to have an effect environmentally you know they're the ones spilling the oil in one spot to ruin all of that land they're the Mm -hmm. ones putting endangered animals in areas where they won't thrive that kind of thing and sounds like they're just mean yeah well they're they're pretty (laughs) terrible but the problem is is that like legally they're squeaky clean and the guy that that owns the thing has money for for lifetimes and he basically throws money at anything that comes his way and he's got the best lawyers and the best whatever and anytime that shield or anyone tries to touch him or do anything about it they either get bought or they just can't do it so now uh rosalind's come in and she is an awesome character she is kind of black widow-esque but in pairing with Thor, she just she comes off as really smart. She's super agile. She's very, very like combat ready. Even though she's never been in combat, she kind of steps up to the plate throughout this arc and becomes this like like a, like a Black Widow Maria Hill mm. kind of character uh, with a lot of sass. And I love I love female comic book characters with sass, especially when you pair them with Thor because he's always so matter of fact about everything, and she kind of calls him out on his his social faux pas and just how he's oftentimes clueless as to like the flirtations of women from Midgard and stuff like that. Um, so this arc actually sees him going up against Roxxon, but at the same time, uh, with the split timeline stuff, you get a lot of uh, Allfather Thor, which is the older Thor, and we're introduced to Midgard. The entire world is covered in sand and dust and death and destruction and all of this stuff, and Galactus has finally come to Midgard and he's got his, you know, world eating machine and it's fine. The world's finally dead. It's the end of days and he's about to chow down and Thor just will not have it. Um, Really, really, really amazing stuff. Isad Ribic is on art throughout the entire arc. Uh, Colors. I will have to open up my book and find out. Here we go. Uh, colors is Eve. Was it Eve uh, Svarstina? Svarsti- I'm sorry. Uh, and you can't VCs, see it, so you're VCs, on your own. VCs <laughs> Joe Sabina uh, for letters. Uh, super, super engaging stuff. I mean, the word epic doesn't even begin to cover the the mass and the size of the things that you're dealing with. Like when Thor's, you know, whipping the hammer around and he throws it and you see that arc on the page and it's going through like... He's throwing the thing through a black hole and it's coming out in another time and place and smashing something in the face. Like he planned that. It's just awesome. 
Like if you're a fan of Thor because of the movies or because of the comics or anything, and you're not reading Jason Aaron's current run of Thor, you're doing yourself a disservice. It is just beautiful, beautiful stuff. Uh, they're going to be taking a little bit of a break so that uh, Jason Aaron and Al Ewing can do the Loki and Thor crossover for Original Sin. Uh, it's going to be five issues, I believe. And then uh, Jason Aaron will be back uh, for more of Thor, God of Thunder. Yeah, they're they're actually not printing Loki or Thor for those th- that time, so they can just yeah. do it as a crossover, yeah. which I think is cool. So you don't have to double buy the books. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm there. I'm yeah. totally. Um, I know. I think he's actually written the character before, like way back. Jason Aaron. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I've never checked out any of the older stuff. I have some Thor in my in my trades collection. I don't know what it is. I think it might be the Remender stuff, mm. or maybe the Fractions. I think it's the Fractions. The Fractions. Yeah, Fraction. I was on it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean. I do the same thing I do with the series all the time where like I said on the last time I talked about it on the podcast, I'm like, I'm not going to fall behind with it. And, and, you know, I'm reading it. It won't be a problem. And lo and behold, after two issues of the new arc, mm-hmm. I did fall behind. Um, but it's so much more of a, of a satisfying read to, to read it all at once and just get really, really engrossed in what's going on. And I love the new character. I the Rosalind character is fantastic. I really hope that she sticks around. Awesome. Uh, that question came from David tip of the spear all right all right <laughs> well there you go man there you go david that's what i think of thor god of thunder he said guys can you talk about how awesome thor god of thunder is seriously word jason aaron isad ribic and eve here i go again sforcina sforcina i did a much better job of it that yeah. time yes. just say it with some sort of vague like eastern european accent and sforcina there, there you go exactly all right all right and so we talked uh, a couple weeks ago. We talked about um, the Weekend of the Divine. Yeah, a uh, new Jamie McKelvey, Kieran Gillen uh, joint, and you have their first joint right in front of you. I do. Uh, I have phonogram in front of me. I have a couple of notes because I want to make sure that I do this book justice because I absolutely loved it. I don't know that I wholly understood it, <laughs> but I definitely loved it and appreciated it. Um, I would even go so far to say, I'll get to it in a bit, but there was a single issue in the volume two, which is called The Singles Club. There was an issue in there where all it was was two DJs um, DJing a party together, and you find out that it's the same night that a bunch of other events happened. And all it is is every panel is them behind the DJ booth talking about the different music that they're playing throughout the night and how it's affecting the room and how it's affecting the club and who's in the club and why they're playing it. And like people come up to them and ask for requests and they either blow them off or they blow them off like super, super harsh and they turn around like, I love the pipettes. So uh, it's crazy. It's like, it's a, it's a comic book, but it's also this like ridiculous education in like Britpop and stuff like that. There's even a glossary in the back of both volumes that they talk about not only the artists that are mentioned throughout the book, and there's a lot. Um, but they talk about the songs, and they talk about the song meanings, and they t- like they, they pick out the lyrical content that shows up throughout the books. And um, if anybody's wondering what Phonogram actually is about, uh, the first book called uh, Rue Britannia actually focuses on a character named David Cole. Uh, he is a phonomancer. David Cole is the biggest douchebag that you've met in comics. He would at least be in the top 10 of douchebags. This guy is just like, 
you want to punch him in the face and flip him off the minute that you meet him. He's got this huge, huge pompous attitude about music, which is why I, you know, warm to him immediately. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I really, I really identify with this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, but he is like, he's just this, like this douche. But the thing is, is that the reason that he is this way is because he's a phonomancer and his, his role in this story is that the Britpop goddess Britannia has gone missing. And as penance, he pissed off one of the other goddesses uh, and she puts a curse on him and says, you have to find Britannia or else you are going to become irrelevant. So phonomancer basically means like music magic so they use the influence of magic and music to affect the world around them but what i got from it is that each one of the phonomancers is kind of they're associated with a certain genre of music and the curse on him and like you're gonna you're going to become irrelevant basically when people stop listening to music when a, an era or a genre or a band starts to disappear there's a god associated with that music and as the music mm. dies so does the god um if he doesn't find britannia all of brit pop as we know it is in danger and it sounds a little out there and ridiculous remember who you're dealing with here yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, kieran yeah. gillen mm. and jamie mckelvey yeah. Uh, Jamie McKelvey, both on art uh, and uh, writing consultants and stuff like that, and letters as well. And uh, Matthew Wilson actually does the colors on the second volume with the um, the same team uh, on that book. But it was, first of all, educational. Like I said, like I I got I, I consider myself to know at least a fair amount about music. I learned all kinds of cool stuff from reading this. I found a bunch of bands over the past week that I'm now listening to through this. I mean, some of the stuff's ridiculous, but they even, they talk about it being ridiculous and they talk about it like ridiculousness in music is okay. And they go into detail about it and it really turned me on a couple of things. And I like was listening to the pit bats and I was listening to long blonde and Elastica. Like I forgot Elastica even existed. I never heard of Elastica. I, they made one album and they dropped off face of the planet. And when I when I saw their name written in this book, I went, "Oh my god, I remember them." And it just it brought me back to you know early early listening days of when I was like I didn't even have a musical opinion yet. I listened to Nirvana and I listened to Alice in Chains and all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, I I'd, let me just see if I if I wrote anything else down that I wanted to to talk about this book. I really really super super enjoyed it. Uh, other man's difficult genres. Oh, there's going to be apparently uh, a volume three uh, called "The Immaterial Girl" that is planned. Um, I know there was a there was a rumor going around that a couple of people were pissed that "The Wicked and the Divine" wasn't uh, Phonomancer's volume three. That's the Immaterial Girl is the title of the planned volume three that eventually, hopefully, they'll get around to doing. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely read volume one to get the feel of the story and, and the characters, just the tone of it. And if you really enjoy it, volume two has a different presentation. It's in full color. Uh, I should mention the first volume's in black and white. Second volume's full color, and it is gorgeous. Like, if you've seen um, Young... It was um, not Young... Young Avengers? Young Avengers, yeah. Yeah, Young Avengers, and you've seen, you know, Jamie McKelvey's colors and art, uh, Wicked and the Divine. It's that, but set to a a music 
world. Cool. And um, yeah, just spectacular, spectacular series. Uh, I really want to read it again, knowing what I know about it at the end. Um, one more thing. The Singles Club is a series of one-shots of characters that showed up in the previous volume, and they all belong to, like I said, different genres of music, so each issue carries with it a different tone and a different approach. Um, super, super, super good stuff. It's my favorite thing that I've read probably in a while. Cool. I just ordered the fir- it, and I ordered the first two volumes of Thor. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Does it go from black and white to color because the time period changes or stylistic choice? I think they were just ready to do it in colors. I mean, I couldn't even imagine volume two without it. There's this there's this one like double splash page in that same issue with the DJs where it's like the second to last page of their story. I mean, you guys can see it, but nobody mm-hmm. else can right now. Um, it's oh, a representation of... Yeah of all the different gods and goddesses within the club Mm -hmm. being moved by the different music that they've played throughout the night all at the same time. So it's like a, like a montage of everybody, you know, getting down. Right. And it's, it's the revival of the music that when the music is felt and when the music is important, when people are moving to it, it gains power and everybody gains their relevance and and their their stay in the music community back and it gives them power and they just there's one character named penny that you'll fall in love with she's that girl that you just you cannot you can't stand to be around her but you can't get enough of her either so cool wonderful stuff phonogram by kieran gillen and jamie mckelvey check it out I mean, I'm gonna guess probably the first volume is in black and white because I mean, McKelvey wasn't was not known at all. He's I think it was maybe his first published thing. Yeah. And Gillen, before he wrote this, was a game reviewer. Yeah. He was a games critic. So I think that's probably a budget thing. You yeah. know, it just costs less to print and make yeah. black and white comic yeah. than a color comic. I mean, my my advice to people that are that are wanting to check this out, like I said, definitely get volume one, and understand, you know, the book has its nose up in the air, so. Don't try not try not to be turned off by that when you first get into it because it is off putting because the the character that you're following it really is kind of a piece of work mm-hmm. but the story and the information and where it goes and especially to get to the second volume it pays off in spades and you should stick with it and check it out it's awesome you can find these anywhere cool awesome awesome all right Bob, what do you got for us? Okay, dokie. Starting with X Factor number 10, it's Peter David Carmine Di Gian Domenico. <laughs> Close on that. Colors by Lee Loffridge. Letters by Corey Pettit, whose name I don't know, but here it is. <laughs> I'm so glad I stuck with this. I was drifting because I had such a great love for the Jamie Madrox, Layla Miller, Monet run before. But this is really. Each issue just picks up steam. The family is growing here with Lorna and Pietro. Lovely relationship back and forth, sort of half brother, half sister. I can't believe we're at issue number ten already. Issue with number this. ten. They've double shipped a couple. It's two a month, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, and they still don't have a trade, so I can catch up. Yes, because <laughs> Marvel's so far behind. <laughs> anyway. It looks cool. Yeah, as we saw last time, Lorna, Pietro, and, and Doug Ramsey, who they just re recruited for the group, uh, who's Cypher, though no one ever calls him that, for, but that's his superhero name. They brought home the, the young girl, Georgia, they saved from her sort of evil mutant-hating, but now mutant daughter-having father, and brought her back to her real biological mother, 
when her dad shows up, Memento Mori, which means remember that and you will die, which is a nice name to have if you're going to have a Latin <laughs> supervillain name, who shows up and basically steals her away and wrecks them, just clobbers the crap out of them. Nice. Leaves them in a wrecked building. We then skip ahead to really interesting stuff in his villain's lair. And his daughter's 13, 14, so she's asking, well, shouldn't this be in a volcano? You know, where are the missiles? What kind of- <laughs> it's actually some really upscale hotel. He's a businessman who runs legitimate businesses, and he's a supervillain on the side, which is why his marriage broke up. Because <laughs> she just couldn't quite deal with who he was in real life. She couldn't handle the business. Couldn't handle the business end of things, and sometimes it's only business. But great mix of suspense and humor. When we had Peter here, I, I mentioned that I found a lot of what he does very sort of like Alfred Hitchcock, where you, you're led down this path to be scared, and all of a sudden there's a laugh that releases the tension, and that's here too, along with just great good humor. Meanwhile, back at, at Serval Industries, Harrison Snow, the guy who runs the joint, He's got his own set of problems going on, regular business things, but as well as Gambit sleeping with his wife. Oh. Oh, Gambit. Good old Gambit. and Saucy. Yeah, so the, the team needs rescue. So all of a sudden, Gambit, who's just sort of laying around trying to get the lay of the land, so to speak, there's a call, <laughs> there's a call that, well, you need it in the office. That's not the call you want to get after you just slept with the boss's wife, I'm thinking. <laughs> So he's like, oh, he knows, oh, this is going to be terrible. And he, he starts to Uh-oh. confess. Oh, Gambit. And Mr. Snow went, I don't have time for that. You, you, what, what we have a problem with right now is the team needs help, and you and, and uh, Danger and Warlock, the two sort of artificial intelligence, you've you got to go to Minnesota, wherever it is, and figure this out. Did he actually tell him? He, I don't want to spoil that. All right, all right. There are right. some really great moments here. Again, humor, there's action, and the bad guy shows up again because, well, you know, bad guys show up. So shenanigans ensue. <laughs> if people have dropped away from this because it was a slow build, even with the double shipping, do as what Steve is saying, when the trade comes out due, the, the, the issues are all available because now 10 issues have come out in four months, basically. I really want to read it. Do yourself a favor. It's just a really fun series. It isn't the other X Factor, but it's building its own weird thing. And somewhere down the road, I think we're mm. going to look at this run as being just as good as that one was. So that's X Factor number 10. I like the art for that book a lot. Every time that you bring it and I open it up, I always appreciate that, that uh, aspect of it. It looks like a lot of fun. It's, it's a very stylish art thing, but it never quite gets into that. I don't know what I'm looking at. It's a little bit anime to a be bit honest. Anime, a little bit angular. Yeah. He uh, was one of the guys who was on the Gillen Journey to Mystery run. Oh, He's one of that's those why artists. it looks familiar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, no, I dig it. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I actually, I asked Rob the last time I was at the shop to try and, and put that run together. I really do want to pick it up. So we'll see. You won't be disappointed. All right. It was a very dramatic, Bob. You won't he- be I didn't. It wasn't done on purpose. I got the microphone cord stuck <laughs> under my knee. It was good, I, though. It was good, though. Unintentional was dramatic good pause. It was a good reading. When I do one of those, I'll really let you know okay. ahead of time. Right. But I'd rather than take <laughs> credit dump, dump. for something I hadn't done. And now I just lost a page I had open. Thank you very much. I'm so idiotic. Oh, there we go. 
Anyway, so <laughs> horrible, Bob. I well, that, again, I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm used to sitting in that chair on the other side of the room, which I can see longingly. It's over there. The whole system's breaking down. Yeah, I know. We're in the sort of the same positions, but not. Yeah, and yeah. I'm just too comfy over here. Cats and dogs living, living together. together. <laughs> so the actual book of the week is something that's sort of strange in that it's Fantastic Four. 100th anniversary <gasps> issue, which is this weird set of annuals that are coming out that are set in the year 2061, mm -hmm. and as if the comics are being printed all the way through, in that there are even sort of footnotes to books from 2041 oh, gotcha. and okay. books that don't exist. Go, see Galaxy Girl number 255 on sale next week. <laughs> nice. Uh, this is by Jan Van Meter, who also did a really lovely one-shot Miss America back in 2008, I think it was, when they were doing Marvel's 70th anniversary. And Joanna Estep on the art who yeah. did the story in Thrilling Adventure that you got for me. Yep. And yeah, we interviewed her for Comic-Con. Yes, we did. That's now where that, I knew that name now, from. I was killing me. Now <laughs> I know why we. she seems so familiar. Sweet. <laughs> and she does the pencils. And the colors, and it's it's sort of a pastel-y thing. It's almost as if it's pastel pencils. Yeah. She does all the art at once. Yeah, she's good. So it's 2061, and our story begins though with a flashback to a terrible day in 2024. I have to read this, so bear with me. When Reed Franklin, Johnny, and Dr. Doom are executed as time terrorists with their histories erased for doing really bad stuff. We, we go back forward to 2061. There still is a Fantastic Four, but now it's run by Valeria. Nice. The grown-up Valeria and her, I guess they're her twins, Trin Richards Banner, also known as Phantasm, hmm. and, uh, and Kirby Richards Banner. And she has a, uh, he has a thing rather with Victoria Harkness, which is the daughter, I guess, of Agnetha Harkness, who was the original Fantastic Four's witchy babysitter from back in the Lee and Kirby days. So what are they implying with that last name? Valeria married a banner? Yes. Which one? I don't know, but the kids are green. <laughs> so, so this is really interesting. Whoa. Forget the remender uh, thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about this. And Victoria Harkness <laughs> is apparently uh, also a sorceress. And we have a new human torch who is Lee Min Cam. And I have no idea who he is since we're dropped in the middle of the action here. Now, the, the team is away on a mission to Neo Luna, which is apparently the new moon they've set up for no particularly good reason, because we don't know why they're doing that. And as they're out on this mission, they get a message from the past, and it's from Reed. Valeria loses contact with the kids. They're on the IGGS Fantastics. It's some spaceshipy thing that they're doing. And knowing that there's this message, the kids are gone, she goes to talk to her mom. Now, her mom's in some sort of prison camp, and as the caption reads, some great stuff in here. The caption reads, well, because Susan Storm is one of the most dangerous people in the galaxy. <laughs> Which, if you go back to John Byrne, yeah, she certainly is. She never got to use her powers for offense until he started playing around with it. So you go to the prison camp, and basically she could have left whenever she feels like. She has so much power. So she does because, well, now there's a problem. Sue always knew this was coming, that Reed would figure something out. Uh-huh. So she decides to sort of put the band back together. She gets herself out of prison, finds Ben, and they go off and have some adventures. Because as she puts it, no one destroys our family. No one. 
let me ask you this. Sure, please. All right, you've been you've been pretty disgusted with the current Fantastic Four run. You're not having any fun with it. None. Okay. Is this a step? Well, this is like a one-time thing, right? This is like a one-time a, thing. Can Marvel please put these two talented ladies on the Fantastic Four? So I, all right, you know how I feel about them. You'll Should love I, this book. Okay. That's you will love this book. All I needed to know. It's a fabulous, fun science fiction story. You get the future FF, but it has all the heart and adventure and all the, the sort of Matt Fraction idea of more adventure, less action. It's all here, and I don't want to spoil too much. I may spoil it to you here, but the, I, I won't. The, there's a page I opened up that you can't see. Okay. Okay. You're not allowed, <laughs> you're not allowed to see that page that made me all misty and googly. Nice. <laughs> The art is just, it's fun and emotional but and dramatic, but playful. It's what you want a Fantastic Four book to be. The story is in a lovely little place where, it, because it's in this weird future, it can be what it wants to be, but is still our Fantastic Four, and you'll get to see that. And I'm very much reminded of, someone had pointed this out, the MC2 universe, which was the Spider-Girl universe, where they yeah. did uh, a bunch of stories where you had an entire series of Fantastic Five. The first miniseries was very, very good. It wasn't supposed to be like a cancel because a toy deal with Kmart fell through. <laughs> but in that case, you had Franklin, a sort of wounded Ben, Johnny Storm, and his wife, Lijah, the Power Scroll, who had been masquerading as Alicia Masters in the regular book. Ah. And they also had a character called Big Brain, who was Reed's brain in a robot. Okay. But then that changed around in three issues of Spider-Girl <laughs> because she had sort of a thing for Frankie, as she called him. Is that still the DeFalco? Is there that other yeah, stuff? Yeah, still DeFalco. Okay. And the Fantastic Five was DeFalco and uh, Paul Ryan, who were doing the regular FF book at the time. Okay. So it really held together. And then you had the DeFalco, and you have the new Fantastic I found more DeFalco when I was in Canada. Fantastic Five with one of Ben's kids. Cool. And that led into the Spider-Girl run that changed everything. And it's also very reminiscent of a book I've talked about here before, Ellen Davis' The End, ah. which is one of the greatest miniseries in Marvel history and Fantastic Four history. It's way in the future, and bad things have happened to the Richards children. They've disappeared, trying to stop... Oh, I have that. You got me that, didn't you? Doctor Doom. I think I did. You yes, probably you did. haven't read it yet, so I'm not going to spoil that. But that's, a, <laughs> that's another tearjerker. All right. But this book... The only caveat I have about this Fantastic Four 100th anniversary, the story is rather self-contained. It ends on a cliffhanger that if you saw the, the next issue or didn't, who cares? This is so great. But you want to read the next one? It's continued into the Guardians 100th. Oh, okay. So which doesn't connected. come out for about three weeks. Okay, gotcha. There's a Spider-Man 100th this week. You know, don't be fooled. Gotcha. I don't think it goes into there. Gotcha. Um, I love the 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 great optimism of this hundredth anniversary issue that things would actually be that different mm. in the Marvel universe yeah. <laughs> that there would be new characters inhabiting these old characters yeah. and it wouldn't just be the same characters just still nice. around. Um, all right, cool. So that's Fantastic Four hundredth anniversary. Yep. Number Ab one. Jen after your, after we hear your books. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry about yeah. By well, Jen Jen Van Meter and. Joanna Estep. Joanna Estep. And your other book was? X-Factor number 10, Peter David and Carmine D. John Domenico. All right. <laughs> uh, remind me, after your books of the week, there's okay. a bit of spider-related uh, book news. Okay. So we'll talk about that. Okay. Mm. Um, so I'm going to start off some of my books of the week. I'm going to talk about Rocket Raccoon number one here, um, written by Scotty Young, with art by Scotty Young, and uh, art by Jean-Francois Berlioux. Very nice. 
going to say that's why you say it. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to start out my talk. I want to read. I asked uh, Joey Bracino to be on the show tonight. He had rehearsals. Um, so uh, I wanted to read a bit of his review because he reviewed the book for us. Yeah. Um, and this is how this is Joey's verdict for the book. Comic book of the year, Garen fucking Teed. Don't miss out. <laughs> Scotty Young's Rocket Raccoon is a wonderful comic book in each and every qualifier imaginable. Hell, even the adverts are wonderful. Buy this book immediately. Buy it for yourself and then buy another one for your friend who is sort of into comics but doesn't know where to start. And then buy another copy for your friend who doesn't read comics. But but fuck it. We need to get as many people reading this comic as possible. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, oh, Joey. All right, so uh, Joey loved this book a lot. <laughs> we can tell. Yeah, and I uh, and I wanted to uh, read that because I wanted to be on to talk about it, but unfortunately he can't be here. So uh, for me, Rocket Raccoon number one, this is the first book I think I've read that's like normal Scotty Young art. Okay. You know, like I've n- I haven't seen it yet. Um, not, I, the, not the baby stuff. I have, it's not baby stuff. I haven't read any of the Oz books. So I don't even know if he draws it or not. So if you want to, yeah, he does. Um, I haven't read them, so I, I don't really. Oh, I, I can't yeah. even. I can't even. I can't <laughs> even look at that right now because I don't have it yet. I haven't got my books. That looks mind-blowingly beautiful. Um, oh and that, my god! And that it, it absolutely is. It, it is mind-blowingly beautiful. It, his art style is a wonderful, I think, meshing of. You can see where the baby stuff comes from looking at his regular art, but it's so much more dynamic, so much more interesting, so much more layered, um, and with more, obviously, of an edge than, obviously, the baby stuff is as well. This is not... It's obviously beautiful and fun, but it, it also has weight to it that, that I think the other stuff doesn't, yeah. necessarily. Um, and what's interesting is I did not expect... The Rocket Raccoon story in this book is... You know, in the Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, he is he's the, the the kind of mercenary murderous raccoon who, yeah. who 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 is angry and says some funny stuff and shoots a bunch of people and is a lot of fun to read. It's funny because in this book, Scotty Young almost paints him as his own kind of Han Solo. He's sort of like this roguish character who goes around the universe and he has all of these women who like love him and want <laughs> to be his boy want to be his girlfriend. Good for him. Um and a, a lot of the beginning of the story is is him first he sa- he saves a damsel in distress and then the next part he's on a date with a different girl um <laughs> and he gets he at the, he's at like a, a boxing match or like a fighting a fight between Groot and this other kind of ridiculous looking creature as you can see right here yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> the glop or yeah. something and he he, uh, he gets he gets you know basically on the kiss cam and he uh, also it starts buzzing and it says like wanted fugitive and he starts freaking out and, it, and he goes on the run and the whole thing is like, you know, he's like, I didn't break any laws. He's like, well, not really. You know, that's kind of because he, he breaks a lot of laws, but <laughs> he, he uh, you know, he's on the run from these people. He doesn't understand why and there's obviously some sort of conspiracy going on behind the scenes to, to get him. And he, and you do see Star Lord and Gamora, like they, they're kind of on the other end of the line and they're, they're talking about it and um, they're kind of off on their own adventure, Star Lord and Gamora and Drax. And Rocket and Groot are kind of in, in their own thing. Um, it is really, really good, really funny, really imaginative is, is I think the biggest thing about it. There's so much mm. imagination. I didn't I didn't really understand how they were going to do or what process they were going to go to to give him a, a full series. Because I've never seen the character, and no one has, it, it kind of holding up sure. their own book yeah and scotty young has found a way to do that while also creating a very interesting world to surround him you know it does really embrace kind of that star wars cantina 
feel where they walk in. Yeah. But you walk in, you saw you saw that scene as a kid or when you first saw the movie, and you're like, oh my God, like look at all these different creatures. Yeah. Look at all the different possibilities that could exist in this universe. And this is what it feels like in this book. Sweet. I'm not going to spoil what the what they reveal who's coming after Rocket at the end, and I'm not going to spoil it. But it, it's both hilarious and menacing, so it'd be interesting to watch. But and and also I want to say the colors um, by the Frenchman's name, who I will not say again because I'll say it wrong. Um, Boulel. Yeah, Jean Francois Bellu. 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 Um, <laughs> Are beautiful, you know, oranges and greens and all these stark, really vibrant colors. The palette is perfect for it. Really, really great stuff. Um, excited to see where this goes. Excited for the feel of it and how, even though obviously he deals with the Guardians, it feels very separate. Feels like its own thing. Um, and also the, the the letters by Jeff Eckleberry as well are also very good. So um, definitely check it out. Scotty Young, obviously words and art, and uh, Jean Francois Bellu on color. Uh, I'm so excited to read that. Rocket Raccoon number one. Um, I don't uh, know, Bob, if you, you live through it in the store. I live through. I don't know his art at all beyond mm. covers. Right. So it did look pretty interesting. Is this? going to be ongoing yeah the as plan long is as, we, as long as it stays yeah it's going right, to be ongoing. He, can he uh, the oz books have been coming out for quite a while so i have to imagine he can stick to the schedule i think he's been working on this for quite some time okay. yeah and that there's you know they have a couple in the bank yeah i would think gotcha. so because those oz books come out in like minis right they're they're minis that come yeah. out in, yeah in they're part, they're yeah. you know every now and again he it's funny the last time that he did one or no the second to last time that he did one he's like this is it this is the last one. I've been doing these forever. Yeah. This is going to be, this is it. And then, you know, there was another one after right, that. Right. And then he said it again. He's like, I'm doing <laughs> something else. And I think maybe from that point out, they knew the Guardians of the Galaxy plan mm-hmm. and they wanted to launch this book in conjunction with the movie coming out. And, you know, he did that, that A Babies versus X Babies. Yeah. That was great. And he wrote that as well. Yeah. Um, and that was really super charming and fun and funny. And everything, kind of like a, a Muppet Babies approach. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I really, I can't wait to get my hands on it. I, I saw some of the variant covers that were available at the, the shop in Canada were just hysterical. It was a teeny tiny little rocket on the bottom left. And it was the Scotty Young variant <laughs> of the Scotty Young drawn and written book. Yeah. And the gun took up the entire cover. Mm. It's just a tiny little rocket raccoon at the bottom, this giant ass gun with all these missiles and who knows what on it it looks amazing i can't wait to read it yeah it's obviously perfect timing for it as well you, know, you mentioned yeah. the, the the kind of late timing of the deathstroke one this is the perfect timing because we are it, we're in rocket yeah. raccoon fever right now I'm, apparently it sold out immediately obviously there was a whole thing where it it, it, it had a ton of pre-orders yeah, it was three hundred fifty thousand or some number. yeah a bunch of it was in that that loot crate uh thing which is this yeah. service that they basically you sign up it's like 20 bucks a month or something like that and they send you yeah. like 60 dollars worth of stuff but you don't get to pick what it is they just send yeah. you like oh. a, kind of a, it's like almost having a birthday pre- a birthday every month yeah they have like two tiers uh yeah. people usually do unboxings if you have like web shows or stuff i was yeah. actually thinking about doing it for talking games yeah it's, it's cool it's definitely cool and they ordered a bunch of them for that they were like a hundred thousand for that but still even with that the fact that this book is doing you know, two hundred thousand pre-orders for regular stores is pretty awesome yeah uh, you know what it's just thinking that if they sent a hundred thousand books unsolicited, yeah, to people who might not have bought it, how many extra sales could that possibly turn into? A lot. I mean, I mean it's a great idea. It's wow. a great, a great idea. I think that. I mean, obviously, I heard the other. I didn't. 
I have it. I didn't get to read Legendary Star Lord yet. The other yeah, um, Sam solo yeah, Sam Humphries. This other and Paco Medina, I think, is the artist on it. Yeah, the other solo um, Guardians book, uh, but apparently it sold very very well. In addition, so, I heard good things from the few people that I know that read it. They said it was really good. Yeah, so I'm definitely gonna check that out. I'm probably today or tomorrow. Yeah. But I, uh, I'm Rocket Raccoon was awesome. By the way, in a very unrelated but related Star Wars thing. I'm sure this is on YouTube somewhere. But Richard Pryor, for a very little bit of time, had a, a show on NBC in the 70s. Okay. And one of the episodes was he was the bartender at the Star Wars bar, and just <laughs> just just imagine. Where that goes to, he's running it oh, as if it's man. somewhere in downtown Detroit. <laughs> and they're arguing baseball. Yeah, well, sure, he hit 4,000 home runs. He had a laser bat. Hank Aaron <laughs> used a wood bat. Get him out of there. That's it, awesome. All the, creature, all the creatures are there. They're all wearing <laughs> Don Post ho, you know, Halloween masks with mm. scotch tape holding them together. But it's, it's pretty funny. So check that out on I YouTube. I love Richard Pryor. My fav- one of my favorite movies of his, uh, See No Evil, Hear No oh, Evil. Yeah, yeah, with Gene <laughs> Wilder? Yeah. Oh, God, that movie. And, uh, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, he's a bad young guy. Young Kevin Spacey with yeah. some kind of weird mole or something yeah. on his cheek. Always, that was, always bothered me. <laughs> it still does to this day. Um, it's like a bone out of place. So the other thing I read, I, I you know we've been talking a lot about you know we end up reading a lot of the new stuff and not reading a lot of the older stuff that we want to catch up on mm-hmm. because we feel like we have to be caught up. And I this week I finally was like I'm going to read something old that I've been wanting to read. That I had I believe Bob I think it was you who got me this. I believe so. Yeah, um, bought me the Infinity Gauntlet, um, saying kind of galactic here, uh, written by Jim Starling with pencils by George Perez and Ron Lim. Inkers, Joe Rubenstein, uh, with Tom Christopher and Bruce Solotov, and colorists Max Scheel, Ian Laughlin, and Evelyn Stein. Um, letters by Jack Morelli. Uh, so, obviously, the, the, we, the Infinity Gauntlet became big in conversation a few years ago when the Avengers came out, uh, because Thanos showed up at the end and everyone was kind of wondering who he was and what the deal was with him. Um, and this tells the story of... Well, it's funny because it starts and he already has the Infinity Gems. So obviously that happened before this this event began. Um, and the Infinity Quest, I'm thinking. I forget what the though I don't know that together. I don't know what the order is because I yeah. think that there's the Infinity War, the Infinity Crusade, Crusade. Yeah, which I think comes after this. Though. Yeah. Uh, I think this is the first. I think the other stuff might just happen in regular okay. continuity. I'm not sure. I'm, I don't uh, remember anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, basically. Uh, Thanos has collected these infinity gems which give him control over everything. They make him a god. He can control time, he can control space, he can control eternity, he can control movement, he, you souls. know, souls, everything. He, he has control over everything. Um, and he decides that half of the universe is going to be blinked out of ex- ex- existence. Mm-hmm. So suddenly it just happens. So there, there's no fight to stop it, it just happens and half of the people on Earth are gone, half the people in every other planet are gone and in in this sort of form, it's not as if they've never existed. They just blink out of existence, and everybody remembers that they were there, and now they're gone. Um, and as soon as this happens, that along with the arrival of the Silver Surfer, kind of crashing down and, and going to Doctor Strange and being like, "There's really bad stuff going down." Thanos has all the Infinity Gems. We have to do something about this. Um, it, it starts. What it will be very familiar to anyone who st- still reads event comics, it's a very similar structure, right? We have two stories happening simultaneously. We have Thanos kind of on his floating skull fortress, like, you know, <laughs> trying to, As you do. As you do when you're a, a, a burgeoning <laughs> a god. mad god. Yeah. yeah. Um, along with Lady Death, Nebula, um, 
Thanos' brother, whose name I do not remember, even though I just read it, and um, Mephisto are all there. And uh, Mephisto there sort of under duress in a lot of ways. Basically does not want to be blinked out of existence, so he's going along with whatever Thanos is (laughs) doing. Until he can figure something else out. Exactly, which does happen in the the story. And on Earth, obviously, the the usual suspects are... um, are kind of tooling up to get out there and do some stuff. What I found interesting about the cast of characters who are central to the the plot of the Infinity Gauntlet on the good side, Doctor Strange, the Silver Surfer, um, Adam Warlock, um, and a, a couple of others, they are also characters right now who seem to be coming back into the forefront mm-hmm. very, very heavily. So I found that parallel very interesting. It's obvious that... Um, the people kind of running the show now, Hickman, you know, Aaron, those people obviously have an affinity, it seems, for this. Or um, this is kind of the benchmark for the great Marvel cosmic storytelling. Uh, Jim Starlin was the man. So they are obviously going off kind of this guide to do it. It has, you know, Captain America, um, actually Drax the Destroyer looking very different than he looks in, in the current, the Hulk, all of these, of these characters. What's so interesting about it is that you know, we read Infinity, right? Um, and it was all about all these characters coming together and their combined might was what what won them the day. In the Infinity Gauntlet, their combined might means less than shit. Because yeah. <laughs> Thanos just literally goes like that and they're gone. Like, there's no, there's no way they can beat him. Right. But there's this very interesting subtext to the whole idea, which is that... And Adam Warlock says this. He goes, Thanos has had ultimate power three times. Yes. And all three times, he's he's had it for a very short amount of time and given it away. He goes, I, I'm, you know, um, Thanos g- gains this power, but he doesn't really want it. So what, what he does is he sets up ways to sabotage himself without, subconsciously. And all of this whole thing is the idea of Adam Warlock setting this whole plan in motion to find that moment where Thanos is going to do that thing that allows him to, that mistake he's going to make. And you think that mistake is Mephisto convinces Thanos to go like, you know, you want to woo Lady Death, who he's in love with. That's all he's about. He's an ultimate nihilist. No matter what he does, she she won't smile at him, she won't do anything. He's, you know what, women love, they love people who are brave. But you fighting all these Avengers when you're, when you're all powerful and you can see every move they're ever going to make, that's not brave. So what you do is keep all your power, but just get rid of the foresight of what they're going to do and then fight them. So he convinces Thanos to basically just be super powered, but not have foresight. And you think that's what's going to end him. It doesn't end yep. him. There's something else that, that ends him. Ooh. It's a very interesting story. Um, it's the first time I've ever really read Adam Warlock and anything. And I found him intensely fascinating mm-hmm. and awesome. Um, Really, really cool. There's a lot of you know subtext and a lot of callbacks and a lot of allusions to his past history. Um, apparently, he, him and Thanos were bros for a little while, um, and they had a falling out. Um, so apparently, that <laughs> happened. Um, probably a, a girl. Probably a girl. Really good yeah. Silver Surfer stuff in it. Really, really good Silver Surfer stuff in it. Um, really good Doctor Strange stuff in it. Really, I mean, obviously, it's George Perez and Ron Lim, so it's fucking amazing visuals, like unbelievable yeah. stuff. And there's this kind of consortium of celestial beings, the most powerful beings in the entire yeah. universe that they entail to come help fight Thanos. Yeah. And it is 
unbelievable the look of it but it's funny because he in you bring all these people together they can do shit either against the, yeah. against them <laughs> so it, it's really it's really intensely um smart as well above just being great action there's a lot of great action but it's very very smart very interesting and i love thanos is obviously this mad god and, and he, he's intensely evil but he really want just wants this woman to love him. Yeah. That's all he yeah. wants. And there are these great moments where he, you know, he's he's going through these maniacal plans, and he goes, it seems so, so evil. And then he he turns to look to see if she's smiling, and he's not smiling, and he looks like a lost puppy. You know, like he no. just like whatever yeah. he can do that's not good enough for this person. And it was really fascinating to read that character done like that. And Starlin created the character, right, Bob? Yes, before he even came to Marvel. He created him when he was in college and then brought him with him. Mm. And it was one of those things where Darkseid was already around. Mm -hmm. So they just really, they boosted him up a little bit. He was a little skinnier when he started. So look, if you're going to copy one of the new gods, copy the good one and just (laughs) go for it. As Roy Thomas, the editor, told him. And he first appears in Iron Man 55. Hmm. It's just a random bad guy in a, in a book that Starlin was doing. And then it was a Marvel 2-in-1, and then bingo. He hmm. was just everywhere. He is looked upon by a lot of folks who haven't read him, honestly, as the knockoff. Mm-hmm. That extra layer of stuff you're talking about puts him somewhere else. Darkseid's a great villain, mm-hmm. one of the ultimate power-hungry yeah. guys. Thanos has something else going on, and there sometimes he's mad at death. Mm-hmm. But look what I've given you! Yeah, how, yeah. how can you dare not love me for this? He has his nobility, where he'll show up and try to do almost the right thing mm-hmm. out of nowhere, and you're saying, "Well, I kind of like him." Right? Yeah. When you start to add in, Starlin did Warlock, Starlin did Captain Marvel, and you start to put all those pieces back together into his cosmic corner of the Marvel universe. I really hope that the films will start to get to this. We have seen what could have been Warlock's Cocoon, mm-hmm. which is, that's his real, real history, which is back in Fantastic Four, 65, 6, and 7, <laughs> where he is him. Mm-hmm. He's just him. Some mad scientists create him to create the perfect human being. They kidnap Alicia Masters so that she can sculpt him because they'll be blinded if they see him or whatever it is. <laughs> and he emerges this golden god who goes, you guys? You suck. So he blasts the whole thing apart and disappears. Shows up in Thor. What a jerk. Ends up, ends up with the high evolutionary who creates a second Earth, counter-Earth, on the other side of the sun and decides they need a superhero too because the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. So in essence, he's Jesus. He gets sent to Earth by the high evolutionary to fix things. Mm. He, of course, gets crucified and killed. And everything. <laughs> There's some deep stuff in Adam Warlock before he finally... That was... Roy Thomas and Gil Kane. Right. And then Starlin took him and made, put it in Pip and Gamora and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. Just great stuff. And I'm, I'm glad you, really glad you yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, I loved it. You know, I absolutely loved it. And there, you talk about the, there's a, a part in where death um, kind of uh, goes against Thanos. And he has this thing where he just has his, his face buried in his hands. And he said, I offered you the universe. Yeah, you know, you it's, it's so interesting that he cares so much, you know. Um, and, I will say the one thing, the one criticism I have of the book is just that Doctor Doom is a major player, kind of on the side of good, because he's like, he basically is like, they're, he's trying to destroy the world, which I want to conquer, so he can't do that because I want to rule the world. How dare so you? These people belong to me, you know. And then, but he, when he gets in with the with the heroes, he's just kind of like, 
a nuisance. He's literally like, he like he like he like wants to be the one who wins, so he like gets in the way of, of you know Thor fighting, and he's like, oh, Doctor Doom, you know that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> who dares? <laughs> exactly. So he was the one person. There's a really funny line where he wants to rush off and fight, and now more like you have to wait. You have to, and, he, and it's this really funny panel where it's like just Doctor Doom, and he's like, the waiting drives you crazy. <laughs> like what a deep thought from Doctor <laughs> Doom. <laughs> um, but there's this amazing moment, and I, and, I, and I tweet a picture of it today. All of the most powerful heroes in the universe are blinked out of existence. They're dead. They're gone. And basically, Thanos is like, you know, I won. I, I'm victorious. And then there's kind of like this like low shot of boots. And then the next shot is a front shot of Captain America, okay. like walking up to him. And Thanos is like, come on, really? Like, you're joking. You, of anybody? And Captain America stands face-to-face with him and says, as long as one man stands against you, Thanos, you'll never be able to claim victory. Um, Boom. And, he, and then he says, noble sentiments for one who is about to die. And Captain America says, I lived by those sentiments all my life. Good, you know, so. Um, really, really awesome. Amazing. And it's like, I, I, wrote, I tweeted, like, I, I really hope we get to see Chris Evans say that, that line yeah. at some point in the Avengers movies. That would be sick. Um, really, really great. You know, I, I felt like it, it obviously has a very stylistic um, connection to other Perez works. So I'm reading it. it. It reminds me of um, Crisis on Infinite Earths a lot. Um, but I think that it's a better story than that story. Yes. I think it's more interesting. I think it has more layers. I think it's not just a reason to reboot a universe. It's It, it, it generally has a, a, some really deep, cool character stuff about it and it was funny reading it because it's obviously Stephen continuity because like the thor in it is like not really thor it's eric masterson eric masterson and there's one where he's like they can't know i'm not really thor you know it's like a (laughs) thought bubble (laughs) thing or whatever (laughs) um and he loses the hammer he turns he only has like a minute and then he turns back into the human well that's what he used to have with don blake right right so if bad guys could get the hammer away yeah yeah so there's a scene where he like throws the hammer at thanos and Thanos like sucks it into like oblivion and he's like, yeah. I only have a minute. And he's just like punching Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> Give it back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, it was really, really great. I really, really loved it. Um, I, I, I'm going to seek out and read the other uh, pieces of it, too, because I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, Pretty sure they're all in trade. Yeah, they point. are. They, they're all listed in the back. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was really, really fun, especially coming off reading that annual, that Thanos annual that was co- that came out a couple weeks ago. It was a cool mm-hmm. companion to that. Now, did anyone ever finish, what was that miniseries about Thanos' origin? Thanos Rising? Yeah. I didn't I read didn't the whole thing. No. I, I have it. I haven't, I haven't read the whole I read thing. the first couple issues. Uh, I actually might be more interested in going back and reading it now that I've read this and seeing mm-hmm. all that stuff. You know, it just, it had a little bit of that, like, we're going to explain why he's a bad guy thing, and I don't uh, really, yeah. I don't need that. You know, I just, he's interesting enough without you having to explain it to me. He can just be a bad guy. It's okay. You know, he's a bad guy with layers, but he can just be a bad guy. Well, he was born weird. Yeah, that was the plot, right, the plot right. of the and story. Yeah, ta-da. yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was an outcast. Oh, we, we know. Yeah. We don't have to see, like, people were mean to him. Like, it's not, you know. It's he was not, he was Rob Zombie's Michael Myers. He, ex- oh. That's exactly what I was thinking. It's exactly the thing. I don't need to see the stupid explanation. He had a bad father. Treated his mom real bad. Yeah, yeah, picked yeah. on on the way to the bus stop. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he's exactly. spitting his hair. Exactly. <laughs> now he's killing their pets. Yeah, exactly. It was just you know, and it's 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 a very realistic serial killer origin, but it's not what I want to see for Michael Myers. It's not scary anymore. It's I I yeah. I understand now, so it's not as scary. It's much more scary when he's 
I looked into his eyes and they were pure evil. Well, like yeah. that's that's what you want to hear. All you needed for stopped needed. being scary for me when Buster Rhymes showed up. Oh yeah, well happy Halloween, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Trick or treat, motherfucker. <laughs> Kicks him. Oh, oh god. That was no. the yeah, that was that was really the only one that I didn't like was that yeah, one. I Resurrection. love the Halloween series. Me too. Oh, there's a box set coming. Oh yeah. Is Com- there? Complete box set. All of them, including Halloween 6, the producer's cut. No, oh, nice. Halloween, the TV cuts, all the cool. doc- new documentaries, and just in time for that Halloween. That sounds tasty. Do you I know like what? That. Honestly, my least favorite Halloween movie next to... Um, uh, uh, next to... Um, Season of the Witch? Resurrection. No, see, I don't even, I'm not that even doesn't ta- count. It doesn't even count. It's not Michael Myers. Michael Myers-based Halloween. It's probably okay. two. It's probably my least favorite one. I just It just doesn't feel necessary to me. I love four and five so much. I think they're awesome. <laughs> six was kind of weak. Yeah, I, mean, I like but, six. But, but I just no one's don't... gotten to see six. It was a different the, cut. Yeah. It, where you got to see this producer's cut, apparently. All yeah. Right. Um, well, I will check that out. Yeah. Um, Resurrection is the worst. Resurrection is bad. Yeah. I mean, other than Resurrection, please. Right. I liked uh, H2O. H2O was really H2O. good. H2O was really, really good. That's when Kevin Williamson ruled the world. Yeah, man. <laughs> well, that um, apparently, what sadly didn't happen on that. Now we're into talking movies. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis came up with that idea apparently after, oh, really? after the Scream movies came out I was like well let's mm. what is the cost to someone who survives a massacre like mm-hmm. this what does it do to that person yeah I, like I thought that was an interesting story to tell about Laurie Strode Carpenter was attached to it at a certain point mm. and he eventually said uh, you know I'll just take the check thank you very much <laughs> and we'll get someone else to do this Steve Miner I thought did a great job a good job it's that. like one of the only good things he's ever really yeah. done, but that's Lake Placid. Lake Placid. Mm-hmm. He also directed that Day of the Dead remake that came out. Oh, oh that no. was terrible. It was not good at all. Um, oh, what was your spider news? Well, Steve? two things now. Speaking of Williamson's, uh, did you see that Joshua Williamson came out with a RoboCop yeah. comic last week yeah. from Boom? Yeah. Any interest in it? No, I don't. I'm not really like I like RoboCop, but it's not one of those things that like lights the fire in me right the joshua williams thing is, is actually a, a bigger draw for me than robocop than robocop himself true i'm really excited when they have like they, they're coming with that alien predator prometheus yeah. like oh books that's him and um paul tobin and oh that sounds cool. yeah and apparently yeah. like they have a writer's room and they've been they, williamson told me this like off mic at comic-con but they've been tweeting about it now so i i figured okay. give it up they they have, they have a, they have a writer's room and it's the the writers of the books, but it's also Greg Rucka and Kelly Sudaconic are like consulting on the Ooh. on the stories. So um, the other bit, uh, she was Bob was talking about Spider Girl. Uh, it was announced that Spider Woman is getting her own solo series at Marvel. Was it an- officially announced? Because it, it was pretty on, official. Bleeding to me, cool. Bleeding Cool was talking about right. that. But well, they named they named a couple people. They said Greg Land on art, yeah. and either Dennis Hopeless or Cullen Bunn, yeah, writing. Yeah, I saw that story, and they said most likely Hopeless is the is the yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to know what Bob thought about it. Fine by me. <laughs> I, 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 a lot of people hate Greg Land. Mm-hmm. I didn't care for him much before. I could deal with it. He wasn't my favorite, but it was the faces were a bit much here and there. But I, yeah. he's really. Mighty Avengers is knocking out of the park, and his art is really part of the reason it's so good. Yeah, Hugh actually brought it up to me uh, over Twitter, and I had mentioned you know that you'd been kind of turned around on him uh, through that series. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, that's I love the character. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if, if I would love to have seen the Cullen Bunn mm-hmm. version of that. 
Yeah, I don't know Dennis um, Hopeless at all. What's well, Dennis Hopeless? He did um, Avengers. Um, what's the one where they're all on the island? Academy. Uh, no, he no. did Avengers Arena, yeah, and he's Avengers. doing a, uh, Avengers Undercover. He also did one of the X Force books. Yeah. Or I, think, I, I think so. I don't know. I think he did Cable and X Force. Yeah, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure. That was good. Mm. I enjoyed that. I mean, the Spider Woman book I want to see is Spider Woman and Captain Marvel by Kelly Sue. Right. right. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the dream. <laughs> Maybe a one shot like the Zatanna Black Canary thing. Somewhere down the road, we'll get a graphic novel. I would just of that. love just a mini. You yeah. know, four or five issues. Have some fun, and then you know, go do something else. Go do Pretty Deadly season two. <laughs> um. Really quick, too. Apparently, um, so uh, DC has apparently now like uh, combined their Trinity of Sin books. So there's going to be like, just Trinity of Sin is going to be the three characters, Pandora, the Phantom Stranger, and the Question, all in the same book. Well, now they can only have, they can have one book that only sells 12,000 oh, yeah, copies which is, a month instead I mean, it's, of three it's, different It's what they should have done the whole time is have yeah. them together. Um, and also, we didn't talk about this very much yet, but Jeff Lemire announced a new creator-owned series from Dark Horse coming out later this year. Ooh, what's that called? Uh, called The Black Hammer. Um, and it's a group of oddball superheroes who have been wiped out of continuity after an earth-shaking cataclysmic event <laughs> and wake and wake on a farm in a mysterious small town. They were the greatest heroes of a lost area uh, of a lost era. Golden Age crime buster Abraham Slam, interstellar adventurer Colonel Weird, and his robot <laughs> sidekick Talkie Walkie. Um, and uh, then there's Barba Alien, Warlord from Mars, Golden Gale, America's Super Sweetheart, Madame Dragonfly, Mistress of the Macabre, and Black Hammer, Invincible Champion of the Streets. Now, let me just tell you, those names are not so far-fetched for Golden Age Heroes. Right, those right, are, yeah, yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah. They have no idea where they are or how they, they get back home. All they know is they can't leave the borders of the seemingly idyllic and small town. The book follows the strange cast of characters as they work to assimilate themselves into 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 quiet small town life living as a bizarre surrogate family on the farm all the while trying to uncover the many mysteries of the farm where they really are and how to get back home is that that's his next creator owned he's gonna be writing and drawing he's not drawing it okay. uh dean ormston is is drawing it I'm not but familiar. it's from, but it's from dark horse um in late 2014 he said i just gave uh my housemate tom i gave him underwater welder mm. not knowing that his father was an underwater welder. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he showed me like a whole bunch of old pictures oh, of his wow, dad in his crazy. diving suit and stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it it hit him, and now he's reading every Jeff Lemire thing I have in the house. That's awesome. What It, it sounds to me, it's like Essex County, but with superheroors in it. That's what kind of it sounds oh, like I, to I'm me. Totally you know what I mean? Board, yeah. um, and that's right in his wheelhouse, which I'm excited about that. Sweet. Yeah, so they just announced that today. Um, let's talk about this recommender thing. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, <clears throat> so... <laughs> um, Apparently, because none of us are reading it, so there's a lot of a little, a little preface that has to be has to happen. I, I did read this issue in the store. Oh, you did Be- really? Before I knew there was a controversy. Before you knew there was a controversy, so you still been reading them in the store then, just not buying them. Sort of. <laughs> not all of them. Um, so um, the, the whole premise of this whole run has been: it started out with Cap in Dimension Z, and then Z for- and he was there for twelve years. <laughs> And then ended up back on Earth. 12 years passed for him, but I think like a minute passed for Earth or yeah. whatever whatever it was. It was almost instantaneous when he came back. But he brought back with him um, children, I guess, from that uh, dimension. Jet Black. Jet Black. Is. She's yeah. the daughter of Arnim Zola. Arnim Zola. Who we met on the other side of the dimensional divide, and gotcha. she was five or whatever she was. She, yeah. she was drawn really, really young. It's mm. hard to say... John Romita does not draw children particularly well. Right, right. <laughs> she could have been 10 and she could have been 2. Right, right, exactly. Um, so then this past 
issue number 22 mm-hmm. um we're obviously back in real world and uh sam wilson the falcon um it, it uh has intercourse with jet black <laughs> um and this started this for the the examiner wrote this article you know why recommenders should be fired from um captain america and she said because she turned Sam Wilson into a statutory rapist because yeah. they claimed that the character was 14, not 23. Yeah. Then also claimed in the article that she says she was 23, but she's not. She's 14 as if she's a real person and not a <laughs> fictional construct that they created. Um, so this then began what began as a hashtag fire Rick Remender. People kind of gleaned on to people who weren't reading up on what the story actually was just said, heard that this character made a character a statutory rapist and said okay yeah you should definitely fire him it like went ablaze crazy um the comic community kind of fired back um saying like you know all the you're being ridiculous this is crazy you know really solidarity around him then what happened was that because the internet is a horrible vile place people who were saying fire recommender then got attacked by other people saying that they were going to rape them for saying that they said to fire Rick Remender. I did not hear that part. Yeah, so, I mean, this is, uh, like, uh, like I was reading... What is wrong with you people? Like, graphic policy, like, closed off their comments section because, it, like, it, like a couple sites did it because it just got so horrible um, with, with, the, with the back and forth. Um, so, and they, they think they traced it back to... The whole story to a person who runs a blog basically hating Rick Remender is basically the, is the whole okay. purpose of the blog. It's not me, folks. No, I know it it's not, not you. me. Um, <laughs> uh, so what it comes down to is the controversy began because an adult character had sex with another adult character consensually. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that, is, that is the crux of what happened in the book. Um, and there's an article that said, look, if you have a problem with characters having sex in a book, that's that's discussion that you can have, but this is not a character raping another character. You know, so yeah. that, we want to clear that up for everybody out there who's listening who might have just seen mm. kind of tweets or might have seen headlines or might have seen, you know, bylines somewhere about it. That that is what happened. Sam Wilson had sex with a twenty three year old character. Um and so that's kind of what what, what the whole controversy is about. It's very funny not funny, but interesting that we're talking about this Recommender story because the other big story in the Recommender Captain America verse is that there's going to be a new Captain America because Steve, has, in his storyline, the villain has kind of sucked the super soldier serum out of Steve. Yeah. So oh. now he now he's a normal guy. So there's going to be a new um, Cap for you know probably six months or something, whatever it's going to be yeah. until this story arc is over. Um. And the speculation is: Who is it going to be? Is it going to be Sam Wilson? Is it going to be? Is it going to be the 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 son that Steve had in in Dimension Z that is now a grown up? They they don't know who it's going to be, and they're going to announce that I think in a couple of months or whatever. But they've been teasing it. Um, There's speculation that it's going to be Falcon. Yeah, Sam Wilson. Yeah, Falcon. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah which listen, I think that would be really really cool. Uh, yeah, he's obviously an important character to them right now. Again, it's a renewed character mm-hmm. for them. It's, the movie stuff has uh, made it big, and he's big in the cartoons and stuff like that. Um, so I, I want to, you know, obviously, I don't necessarily want to comment about the plot of the book. I mean, we're not, we're, none of us are really religiously reading the book. We're not invested in the book. We all know Bob does not like the Cap- the recommender Captain America book. <laughs> right. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, th- that's really not the issue here. I think the issue is the reaction to the story. 
Um, uh, I mean, Bob, how did you hear about this? What was your reaction when you saw all this stuff happening? I was trying to figure out. I saw it was a, a tweet somewhere. Mm-hmm. I, I do wander through these things here and there. <laughs> and saw this whole fire Rick Remender statutory rapist thing. And went, well, what book are they talking about? I mm-hmm. didn't think it could be this. Right. She says in the scene she's 23. Right. Now, there have been people saying, well, uh, she's emotionally damaged and there's no way to know that yeah. she c- could know what she's doing. Or maybe she's she was 14, but she grew up too fast because of dimensional things. And yeah. so she's 14, but 23. Mm-hmm. And, and what's really interesting is huge outburst, more than likely from, again, someone who has an axe to grind. Mm-hmm that then turned back around in the usual internet way into something more vile than a bad attack against a a creator they didn't want because someone firing someone is bad, especially firing someone or calling for their firing for something that they don't deserve to be fired for. There's other things he needs to be fired for from this book, Mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) But then to have it turned around into real rape threats about real people is... uh, doesn't serve any of us in this community well and it it, we Mm -hmm. need to as you were saying we need to sort of get a grip and take a deep breath and look at what it is we're we're doing and what we're presenting to everyone else right yeah a a couple of the creators who kind of went back mark wade said whether you think falcon's decisions were poor or not falsely crying statutory rape is insulting to genuine victims uh, and they all used the hashtag fire recommender so that people would see it yeah and, yeah and and dan slot said uh a uh, guy complaining about wade's take on fire recommender and this is this quote from the guy complaining about what wade just said yeah. now i have no idea about the character and story in question that's how he started yeah. his, <laughs> his thing um <laughs> Uh, Rob, Gil- uh, Rob Gilroy said, I-, I think Fire Recommender was just a ploy to get the worst internet people to come out of their holes and be documented for posterity. Um, Jonathan Hickman said, the whole thing is an insult to those of us who are legitimately trying to get fired. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um Fred Van Lent about the whole thing said, you know, the reaction and reaction, the willingness to destroy real people's lives to preserve corporate owned IP reflects rather poorly on geek culture. Um... You got um, uh, Colin Bunn said, since he's one of the most creative, coolest, and nicest people around, then yes, fire Rick Remender. Uh, and Ron Mars said, wanting someone to lose their job because you don't, you didn't like, or worse, didn't understand a superhero comic is a disgrace. Um, and this is Dennis Claro says, if you have a job you worked hard for, a creative job that involves risk, then you know fire Rick Remender is moronic. Um, Steve, what did you think about all this? Well, first of all. People retaliating to people with rape threats, stop it. Mm-hmm. Stop doing that. You're not helping anything or anybody. Um, secondly, uh, I really, you know, I think I was talking to uh, several people online uh, earlier about this situation, and uh, I believe it was Kelly's boyfriend, Daniel, um who pointed out that you know people just they don't do their their research they attack and they 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 jump on things it just it seems like one one person had this problem and you said like a bunch of keywords and it pissed a bunch of people off and and people rallied Mm -hmm. you know because now i remember what daniel said i'm sorry 
because we're so close to the comic book industry, because we're checking Twitter on a daily basis and we're keeping up with the stories and stuff like that, it seems like every time we turn around, there's another internet reaction. It's like, what is it going to be this week? What, mm-hmm. is it, what is it going to be two weeks from now? We have an, like an ongoing war between just all this stuff in the government lately um, with taking you know rights away from women and women in comics and all of these things that, that we hear about all the time. People on the internet are... are taking matters into their own hands and doing the worst possible thing with it. You know, if you haven't been reading the book, if you don't have all of the evidence, I mean, I've, I've seen several articles, at least three articles that actually walked me through the process explaining that she's 23 years old. I haven't read Captain America past the first issue that I got for free from the publisher's brunch mm-hmm. uh, first year we went to Comic-Con. Right. So that's my exposure to this Rick Remender Captain America run. Um, the art is not very good. The the two characters, Jamie and uh, Jet Black, as children kind of look similar, and I could see how people at a glance would have been confused. Or if you missed that panel that said one year later, or missed the other panel that said 14 years later, or just don't understand the way that comics work, especially when moving into different dimensions and time travel and the stretching and shrinking of time and things like that, that it's a comic book character. She's states she's 23 years old. It's almost as if that dialogue was there just to kind of like let you know that what you were about to see or read was consensual and it was cool. Just because there was alcohol involved doesn't necessarily mean I can have a glass of wine and still make, you know, Mm. decent decisions. You know, Uh, Falcon even says, he's like, only one for me, please. Mm -hmm. You know? And um, it just, it really, really kind of blows my mind. This had been going on for days and I didn't even hear about it until you sent the email Mm. for, for this week's show. And I started looking into it, and I was just really, really baffled. I could understand if it was legit that there was some kind of like weird writing thing going on, but I can't imagine a world where Marvel it would go to editing and something like that would make it to the printed page. Mm-hmm. They would be like, you know, Captain America is going to be delayed this month. Because we need to have a chat with our friend Rick, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. you yeah. know, yeah. The, the the giant corporate entity is not going to allow statutory rape in right. the book. Right. Yeah, but it's just it's people it's people wanting to be upset about something. It's people jumping on the bandwagon and jumping on uninformed. Yeah, and absolutely. I'm glad that people came to his defense and explained it to people like me who had no idea what the hell was going on. I like some of Rick Remender's stuff. I don't like everything, but I do enjoy, you know, some of his books a great deal. I am loving Deadly Class. It's one mm-hmm. of my favorite books of the year, you know? So I'm not calling for his blood mm-hmm. over something like this. And I just think that before people take such radical action and start writing articles that could possibly destroy or seriously derail someone's career that they depend on that career for food for their families for themselves to entertain and do their thing you know you can't you gotta you gotta watch that kind of stuff mm-hmm. well they people drag race into this well yeah, yeah. that's the, the other the, part the, yeah. just to keep 
let, let's pile on. We mm. didn't get enough reaction from the first part of this. Yeah. Let's throw that into it. Don't make it about something that it isn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's the thing, too. Like, last week we talked about the One Roman stuff, right? And... and and there was cool. There was a lot of good conversation on the forums and stuff about about what we talked about. And uh, you know, someone brought up like you know talking about politics and stuff. It's a, it can be a poison pill, you know, because it's very divisive. And one of the things I said, you know, we t- we were talking about civil rights, and I said, you know, the civil rights aren't political issues. But mm-hmm. I said I do I do want to apologize for comparing a giant Supreme Court decision to something that's happening in a comic book. Because the stuff that happens in the comic books in the overall scheme of things compared to those things, compared to the real issues that are going on in the world, don't matter, you yeah, know? Right. Yeah. And, to, you know, to this is the problem with this. You you take a, a misunderstood panel in a comic book and you turn it into a giant social issue and you rope in these really serious matters like statutory rape, you know? Like racial issues, right? Get the emotional attachments that belong to them, yeah. Onto this, onto this. Chris. Which, first of all, if it, if even if it was those things, that'd be a conversation we could have, and you'd be like, those things don't belong there. That's horrible. There's something went wrong. It doesn't even have those things, but but to to put this on par and talk more about this than those actual problems, yeah, is ridiculous, you know. And I think I I think that's the, the main issue, right? And then of course the the. It happened last week as well with <clears throat> all the stuff was going on, you know, um, with the one room and stuff, and then a couple of things, and then um, you know that, that site, video game site, Giant Bomb, they hired new people. Oh yeah, and they hired um, the two white males. Yeah, and you know, someone was like, um, you know, disappointed that Giant Bomb hired two white males. Uh, thought, you know, uh, hoping they'd be diversified or whatever. They did a really good job. Those guys are really good. But regardless of that, this started off a shitstorm of people. Yeah, and then there were people sending this girl who sent the initial tweet rape threats in the name oh, of the Giant oh, Bomb community. This is disgusting. And the Giant Bomb people had to react. Like the Jeff Gersman, the editor in chief, he had to be like, you know, stop speaking for us. And if you feel this way, get the hell out. Like we don't want you here. Yeah, you know what I mean. But this sort of anger and this reaction, and we're we're gonna do this anti-bullying week. We've been talking about it for a while. We're gonna do it. I think it's more prescient than ever. But. You're allowed to have different views about things. If someone has a misunderstanding about something, the answer is not to threaten them with bodily harm. It's to tell them you're wrong and this is why, or just walk away because it doesn't matter. Yeah. Recommender is not going to get fired. It's not going to happen. No one's challenging your things that you like. Just deal it. There was a funny thing. There was a this article I'm writing on Comics Beat which, about this, which is very very good. Um, <clears throat> links to an article from the New York Times about anger on the internet um and this is a quote from this new york times article it says 2013 study from bihang university in beijing of of weibo a twitter-like site found that anger is the emotion that spreads the most easily over social media joy came in a distant second the main difference said ryan martin a a psychology professor at the university of wisconsin green bay who studies anger is that although we tend to share the happiness only of people we are close to we are willing to join the rage of strangers as the study suggests, outrage is lavishly rewarded on social media, whether through supportive comments, retweets, or Facebook likes. People prone to the internet outrage are looking for validation, Professor Martin said. They want to hear that others share it, he said, because they feel they're vindicated and a little less lonely and isolated in their belief. Um, and, you know, to be fair, like, we are feeding the beast right now because we're talking about it. We're talking about negative shit. But 
I think that, yeah, but I mean that's that's the show. Oh, absolutely. Also, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully in a constructive way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know the answer, and I think that there's a lot of good quotes here. And, and Tom Brennan, a, a former Marvel editor, had a big thing about it. And his basically his basic thing was, if you don't like the story, that's fine. If you're uncomfortable with the the uh, the events in the story, also fine. If you want to talk about those things, great. But to assume that. And he says that Rick Miller isn't writing in a vacuum. It's a story approved by multiple editors who not only have the, the character's interest in mind, but the interest of an entire corporation in mind. Mm-hmm. He goes, it, it would be like saying, I didn't like that I got a parking ticket so you should fire a police officer. Yeah. Or I didn't like that this teacher taught school-approved sex ed. She should be fired. Yeah. He's like, it's insulting to, to say that. It's, you know? Those things happen too. Oh, absolutely. Sadly, they yeah. do. Absolutely. They I'm do. just saying like, what, what happened? Somebody was like, oh, we're going to turn him into a statutory rapist. That'll be a really great character arc. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when he comes back from that, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, exactly. it's, it's ridiculous. And, you know, for people to be turning it around on others and threatening them with rape. I mean, what are you doing? What do you, you and then you confront them. And they say, "Oh well, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't serious." Mm-hmm. Well, then you asshole. Yeah, like you're taking you're taking that threat that is very real for people and has been real for many countless people, and now you're saying that you you've made it an empty threat mm. that those words are now empty because you were just you know just kidding. Yeah, I was just kidding. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't really going to do it. You know, I don't I don't know this person. Mm. Well, then mm. yeah, keep it to yourself. And, and 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 go do some soul searching. You mm. fucking sorry <laughs> because it, it, it stuff it, pisses me off. It I don't gets like spread to the person who's now had a, a divergent opinion. Here in New York, we had a case, a really bizarre case, a little bit ago, where and the estranged wife of a New York City policeman discovered her husband had been on weird internet sites, kidnap sites, and was exchanging emails with. Well, we're gonna we're gonna kidnap this woman, and I'm gonna cook her in the oven. Yeah, I remember that. Right. And he was convicted, mm-hmm. basically for thinking weird thoughts. They discovered he could never have acted on the things he wanted because he was in other countries and none of it was real, but he was convicted. It was overturned now. But that weirdness was con- was confined to this one weird website and messages to some goofy friend of his. Mm-hmm. This is that, but now spread across where everyone can see this vileness. Yeah. Yeah. It isn't, you know, two guys sitting around the table. Wouldn't it be weird if? Yeah. No, this is, I I don't like what you said, so I'm going to threaten you with the most awful thing I can. Yeah. So that four million other people can see it. Well, getting the internet to tuck its tail between his legs is often very difficult to do, that the people that were misinformed find out that they were misinformed. They'll fight even harder just to, you know, stay their ground yeah. in, in some cases. Yeah. Well, most people don't care that they're misinformed, right? They t- they made their tweet and they walked away. Yeah. And now it's gone from their mind. It had happened yesterday. That, that's like a million years in the internet world. Yeah. Like they don't care anymore, you know? It, it, and it, it's this problem we encounter because everybody now gets to be a journalist in some way. Sure. Everybody has an editorial voice they get and they get people that will listen to them and deal with them. The, the real crux of it is, is just... And the sad thing about it is that it doesn't take a lot. If we were all just a little bit nicer to one another, the world would be an infinitely better place. Mm-hmm. It would take just everybody just doing their own thing. You don't even have to do anything, buddy. Just don't be a, an ass just a little bit of the time. Be a little bit kind. Be a little bit nice. Mm-hmm. Be a little bit forgiving. You know, give a little bit of leeway. 
I mean, you think about what, what you, you live in your life and you think about what you leave behind, you know, do you want to leave the world being like, oh yeah, I, I made a bunch of people angry my whole life. I scared a bunch of people. I was a real dick to people. That's what I left behind, you know? Just Amen. You know, the, the, there, there's this guy, um, you know, Jeff Kanata, who's a video game journalist and he hosts a show and he, at the end of every show he says, I'm going to misquote him, I think, but he, he goes, um, look, what you, look what you put out in the world and make it a better place. It's basically what he says, you know? And, and that's all you have to do. This is all this stuff happened in the last couple of weeks. It's just, you know, we talked about the Finches last week, right? And, and how we weren't excited about the book and, and um, you know, how we didn't like the art and stuff, but we had a constructive conversation about it. They got just as much hate as anyone else, and they don't deserve it either. They don't deserve to be personally attacked right. because you don't think you're gonna like they're gonna like their story. There, there's nothing about that that gives you the right to personally attack someone. Yeah. And if you think you have the right, then you need to get some help because it's not it's not a thing. You know that that's you, you you're being raised in a world where you think it's a thing because you think you sending out a tweet is it gets you happy and you think it doesn't hurt anybody. You know, or maybe you want to hurt somebody. Either way, you're fooling yourself because it can be very hurtful. I really think we need better. We need better internet laws for that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I get I get a little bit dice about internet laws because then because I'm not going into any specifics because yeah. I wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, but something needs to be done. <laughs> well, there are, there are bullying laws. Some of them get struck down because yeah. you end up with freedom of speech. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, but the the famous case is, and it's a real case. We all, I couldn't cite you. Mm. The V, yeah. maybe we could ask Zach Snyder, he knows all about <laughs> Vs, where he, a judge in Missouri, I believe it was, was actually, you know, actually ruled that you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. It ended up in the Supreme Court with Oliver Wendell Holmes, and it had to go that far, and it was actually, the original judge's ruling was held up. Mm. You right. can't yell, You can't, free speech works as far as you can't hurt somebody else. Yeah. But now, the, uh, the, Sh- mostly- Schenk. Schneck versus the United States. Okay, thank How you about very much. In- instead of better rules, better consequences. Yeah, there, well, there should just be. Thing is, like, there just needs to be more accountability. That's the that's thing. The, yeah, that's, that's what, what it needs for. to be. There needs to be more accountability. Well, what if you that never happened couldn't use screen names? Well, yeah, no, I know. That's one of the things I'm talking about. You have to use your real name. Right, like, real name and your IP address is there for everyone to see, and yeah. you can hide only within a certain yeah set of parameters. Yeah. Because if you can say whatever you want behind a series of curly cues and yeah. numbers, you're no one. Yeah, but you know, pe- there, there are forms where you have to use your real name. Yeah, and the people still try it and end up getting kicked off. Yeah, but people are still horrible to each other on Facebook, and that's all real names. Yeah, no, that's very. Most true. people know you. So. Like, <laughs> if, if this all began because someone didn't like the writing on this book, mm. that is one of the. I shouldn't say it that way because there are so many really bad mm-hmm. things in the world. But in terms of these sorts of things, that is really heinous. Yeah. Don't buy the book. Do what yeah. I did. I backed away from it, couldn't stand it. I, there are still things. If you want to fire Rick Remender, fire him for fridging Sharon Carter. Mm-hmm. That Sam Wilson is taking advantage of this girl that Cap kind of raised and is trying to protect in this new world. And you know, you let yourself get in a position where you could fall into bed with her. And you could say, well, that's that's not good. Mm-hmm. But that, that's not a reason to fire him either. Don't buy the book. Yeah. And, and like, let us run, finish, and move on to the next guy. Yeah, I mean, like, those kind of things, like, those are social mores that, that you can have a discussion about. Right. And there's also a possibility that that is the intention of Rick Remender to bring up those ideas and to have yeah. the, those conversations start. 
And I think that that's a good discussion to have. You know, if it makes you uncomfortable, why does it make you uncomfortable? Yes. Let's talk about it. It's not a place to yell anger. And I think that people don't think about it in, in, in real world terms, right? They fire a recommender because I, he's just a name on a book and he should be out of there. But think about if somebody was doing that to your friend who had a job and that's how they, they put fucking food on their kid's table yeah. was by was by doing this job and you started a huge campaign to fire this person because you didn't like something that they did yeah that you know that didn't affect you in the least so i think that if people don't think about it in those terms you know they, they think no. of these comic writers as almost celebrities they don't make the money of celebrities <laughs> you know no i'm sure recommender is doing okay but he's got to write you know six books a month to, to be okay so but the person who starts this war ends up being their own little celebrity and maybe it's only yeah. for a week yeah but they as you were saying before they equalize themselves mm-hmm. they're now at the same page with all these comic book professionals yeah tweeting in his defense yeah absolutely well, well, well my terrible words to start this off made me even bigger yeah absolutely Ugh. so those are our thoughts on the recommender situation if you guys have any thoughts about anything we said in this the first half of the show make sure you send us a tweet at talking comics or email us podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com um, we want to hear your thoughts. I mean, we, you know, I, I think that, and I had a discussion on the, on the forums as well. I think that because we talk into microphones, often people take our opinions as us saying everyone should have that opinion. And that's not the case. No. We're just sharing our opinions with you guys. If you guys have opinions that you want to share, please email us. But here's the rule about emailing us. If you don't, if you think we're wrong about the Wonder Woman team, don't just say you guys are wrong about the Wonder Woman team. Tell us why you're excited about the Wonder Woman team. That that's the kind of stuff that you know you respond to. That's the kind of stuff that we it's constructive and we can read and talk about. Because you just say you guys are wrong, we're not going to read you guys are wrong on the internet. Believe me, we know a lot of you think we're wrong all of the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> never wrong. Very clear. Um, but if you have a reason why, if you think if you're excited for the David and Mary the Finch Wonder Woman team, write email. Tell us why. Yeah. Go on the forums. With yeah. Stuff going on all the time over there. Absolutely. Um, so. We're going to take a little break, and then you're going to hear some interviews from Special Edition New York City. everybody steve say here representing talking comics at nyc special edition sitting here with jenny frizen uh cover artist of many many books including revival and red sonia i'm getting so confused i'm doing right now i'm doing uh revival these are the regular books revival red sonia vampirella um i just finished up doing some loki agent of asgard um, I'm doing Ghost for Dark Horse, but I don't think any of those covers have come out yet. Um, and then just a bunch of random one-off stuff. That's pretty awesome. Nice. Uh, how long, because I've just become familiar with your work maybe in the past two years. Uh, how long have you been in the comics industry? Ooh, um, probably around six years, I think. Uh, my very first cover that I ever did was uh, a hack slash cover for Tim Seeley. And I can't remember, but six, we'll say six years ago? Does that sound real? <laughs> I actually just read the first volume of that, and I, I really enjoyed it. Have you ever read the book? Yeah. Um, did you read the first volume when it moved to Image, or the first volume when it was still Devil's Due? Devil's, yeah. First, okay. So, my first Maniac was when it moved to Image. Um, not this. 
not that that but is often where people start because it was like a kind of reintroduction to the character in the story yeah that's exactly what it was like I got the the whole lunch lady horror yeah. backstory in like three pages yeah. and then it was you know just moving forward from there really cool stuff I didn't I didn't know what to expect from it and I, I ended up really really enjoying yeah, it yeah I love it it's I really love horror and um, and I specifically really love 80s horror but I think Tim he's one of my favorite writers and something that he does that I think is really unique is he very easily mixes like with Cassie a vulnerability and a humor that you don't find very often and then in a short skirt fighting monsters and I just it's I think it hits it out of the park so yeah I love all the nods to the different horror movies and genres and everything that they cover it's good stuff. Yeah. So let me ask you, you um, obviously you're, you're primarily a cover artist. Have you ever done interiors for a book? No, I mean, I've done like three pages for friends for things and stuff like that. But I am only interested in doing covers. Um, I, I really enjoy the covers. That's my favorite part. And I mean, I guess the argument there is why would I do the thing that I don't like when I can do the thing that I do like? Um, I always like to say that I think uh, the covers versus the interiors it's all of the same uh, aspects that make it up. It's just in different proportions, and I like I like more of the like uh, the graphic and the design and the color um, more than I enjoy the storytelling, which is the most important part for the interiors. Nice. How um like what are your favorite materials to work with? Uh, well, the process that I do for most of my covers, um, I will do a drawing, uh, black and white, well, a pencil drawing on white paper. I actually scan that in and then I print it out on this gray paper and I'll do uh, like a grayscale rendering. So I do almost all the rendering traditionally. Um, And then I scan that in and I put them together and I color it in Photoshop. Wow. Um, About average, like how long does it uh, take you to to come up with a cover? to come up with or well, to are you are you given like free reign like you can do what you want or do you have like they give you a theme yeah it depends on the book um, I get pretty much free reign with Red Sonia Revival is very story oriented so it you know it's usually Tim picks an idea and, and I draw whatever I want to draw then you know fits that idea um, I we'll say covers probably take between two to five days, um, probably usually closer to two to three days. I have done it in less. I don't like doing it in less. Um, and, and I almost never get more. So that's, it, w- it would take as long as they gave me to do it, but I don't get more than two or three days to do it. So. And how do you, like, how do you land the different books? Are, they, are these friends or do they contact you through email? Well, and Tim, Tim and Mike are friends. We actually work in a studio together. Um, I sit right next to Tim. Uh, and I landed that job because we're friends. Uh, other covers, just usually if they, I don't know, I don't know why they like me, <laughs> but usually they contact me. Um, the Vampirella, actually, uh, Dynamite asked me if I wanted to do covers for a different book, and I just said, you know who I really like to draw is Vampirella. You got any of that? And so I basically asked for the job and they gave it to me. <laughs> but usually they'll contact me if they have a book they think that I have a good look for. Very cool. All right. Instead of asking you to pick just one because that's really cruel, why don't you give me like three or five characters that you absolutely love to draw? Not necessarily covers, but just characters that you, okay. in your free time, anything, love to draw. Um, I love Cassie Hack. 
uh, I just think she's fun and funny and and I and I love Martha um, Cyprus from Revival. Uh, I didn't know that I loved Red Sonia until I started doing covers for Red Sonia, but that's one of my favorite characters to sketch now. Um, and Vampirella. Nice. Do you have any favorite comic book characters? Like, do you, you actively read comics I actually, I'll say I kind of got into comics as a kid because I was really into Wonder Woman. I just thought my parents got me a Wonder Woman book when I was little and I was sort of obsessed with it. Um, I love Wonder Woman. I still collect Wonder Woman comics. Uh, but I read comics. I, I, I collect a whole bunch of stuff, so. Are you excited about Gail Simone returning to the Wonder Woman character? Have you heard that yet? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, she's coming back. She's That's doing awesome. Bob, what is it? Sensation Comics? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I like Gail very much, so yes, yes, I'm now I'm very excited about that thing I just found out about. <laughs> awesome. All right, dropping some knowledge on you. <laughs> Fantastic. So what is um what what do you look forward to the most when you come to these events? Oh, um I guess I don't know. I there's like a, I mean, a whole group of artists and writers that I pretty much only see at these things, so that's always really exciting is getting to see my friends. Um, the traveling ones are always a little bit hectic because it's just like a rush to get ready and then a rush to get there and then you do everything as fast as you can and then you get home <laughs> and decompress. Uh, so right now I'm still sort of at that phase where I'm just trying to hold all of my molecules together because <laughs> I just, the travel and all of the hectic and uh and i'm excited for tonight i think probably to get a drink <laughs> holding all your molecules together in new york city is not an easy thing to do <laughs> yeah, only by sheer concentration <laughs> exactly um so okay one last question a character or a book that you haven't done yet that you would love to do your your dream cover which series or um, character i mean i guess i would say wonder woman i don't really have any yearning maybe to draw her because I guess I don't know why maybe because I love her so much but um, but if you had asked me that question uh, six months ago I would have said Vampirella okay. um, but now I'm doing her so I guess does that still count? Does yeah that sure count? I just I love Vampirella she's just she you know her costume makes no sense and I just think she's like super sexy and kind of scary and there's just so much vulnerability there that um, she kind of exudes all of the things that and I really think are fun to draw. And like I said, her costume is ridiculous and that kind of makes me giggle. But oh, Nice. Yeah, so. Very cool. And let's see, lastly, you keep, you, you've keep you brought up Wonder Woman a couple of times. What is it about Wonder Woman that you love and, I, and I, do you identify with her or? I don't know. Um, I will say when I was little, uh, not real little, but um, my sister worked in a bookstore and I randomly opened uh, like a Wonder Woman postcard book and there was uh, Brian Bullen's cover with Wonder Woman standing against the profile she's got her she's holding the shield or something and she's got her knee up and I remember just being so taken by that cover and then when I was in high school um, this is an unnecessary backstory but uh, I went fine. I went to the airport with my parents who were going on a trip and because I'm a forever child. My parents were like, honey, you can go to the bookstore. We'll buy you a book. We'll buy you a comic book. <laughs> That's what my parents sound like a child for some reason. I don't know. But um, but so I went to the bookstore, and they had uh, Adam Hughes' first issue of Wonder Woman, his first cover. Oh, wow. And my jaw hit the floor, and I was just like... And I, 
I, I was like, that is a job. I'm like, people can do that, and that's people pay them to do that. And so that was when I was just like, I want to be a comic book cover artist. That's incredible that somebody created that image, and I and they put it on a comic book, and I want to make I want to make the same sort of stuff. So, so maybe it's the artist really more than the character. But when I was when I was a kid, I just I just thought she was cool and strong and had a lasso, and that was neat. She's pretty amazing. Yeah, she's pretty cool. I have a feeling in the next year or so she's going to be making a, a major major comeback. I hope they do it right. Yeah, the, are you nervous? Are you nervous about the movie? You know, there was a time, uh, but I think DC has changed the character so much in so many ways in the last few years that um, that it's it's kind of anybody's ball game now. Like it, she, they could do any different kind of Wonder Woman. It doesn't have to be the post-crisis Wonder Woman or the pre-crisis Wonder Woman. What do you think about her being a Kryptonian for the movie? Oh, uh, I, <laughs> whatever. Do do whatever you want. I I have my Wonder Woman and. Whatever they come up with. That's another thing that I think is really, I guess, sort of redeemed comic book movies in my eyes, is they keep, like, it only lasts for like three or four years, and then they're like, okay, we're going to do it all over. So Very true. New new version, and, and I think that's kind of neat. That's fun for me, so. All right, well, awesome. Um, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to sit with us and talk with us, and uh, we wish you the best. We always look forward to your, to your covers every month. They're beautiful. And, uh, yeah, we're going to get out of here. Uh, hang around, guys. There's going to be more from Special Edition Comic-Con uh, very shortly. Later. What's going on, everybody? It's Steve Say here at New York City uh, Special Edition Comic-Con, representing Talking Comics, sitting here with Joe Eisma, artist of Morning Glories. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? I am excellent. Uh, first interview of the day, just open up the doors. Uh, what do you plan on doing this weekend? Are you going to be here today and tomorrow? Yeah, I'm here today and most of tomorrow. I uh, got an earlier flight, so um, I have to leave a little bit early. But yeah, just going to be drawing, signing books, uh, hanging out with my, my fellow creators here. Nice. Is there anybody here that you're looking forward to meeting up with? Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I, it's always good to see like uh, Dave Marquez uh, and Ryan Stegman. Um, and uh, Edwin, uh, who does uh, Skull Kickers, you know, he's actually just a few tables down from me. So, uh, yeah, it's good to see those guys. That's awesome. Do you ever, like, run into people that you've known in the industry but haven't met yet and, and, and freak out? Or do you feel like you're, you're one with the circle and it, it doesn't really phase you anymore? Um, it kind of depends. I mean, like, last year um, I was at a show, it was Boston Comic Con with Joe Hill. And um, huge Joe Hill fan, so I, I did. Yeah. I did kind of geek out at that point because I had I had done a sketch of his character from his book uh, Wraith, uh, I mean uh, Nosferatu, and uh, he saw it and he really liked it. And then you know, of course, he comes up to me at the show. He's like, "I really liked that. That was really cool." I'm like, you know, freaking out. So, yeah. Like, thanks very much, Joe yeah. Hill. Yeah. That's awesome. So what have you been up to lately? I mean, you've been drawing Morning Glories for now seven volumes worth of comics? Yeah, uh, I'm working on the 40th issue now. So we've been... I started this in summer 2009. uh, So we did the original pitch, and we actually... Like got into full production, I think around March 2010. So it's been about four, almost five years, uh, essentially. But yeah, I mean, I'm doing this, and I, I'm branching out, doing a couple other things. I did a fill-in issue on Evil Empire from Boom Studios uh, that should be out this summer, and uh, doing just random covers for people. So yeah, very cool, man. Now I noticed in it, it wasn't always this way, but eventually in Morning Glories, you guys started to have or include a, a professor 
that would break down the yeah. issues yeah. like in the back one by one. That helped me tremendously, but it also <laughs> forced me to go back and reread the whole thing. How did you get hooked up with him? Well, uh, he actually was one of the first guys that reviewed the book when it first came out and just really got to be a huge fan and started doing a, a regular online column, uh, Study Hall, and uh, just did it for every issue. And um, we thought it might be fun to do something like a more condensed version of that for the single issues. So uh, he agreed and uh, he does like, he still does the online column, which is uh, bigger and has a lot more information, but then he'll he'll do like a kind of a mini version in the in the singles, and uh, it's worked out pretty good. But yeah, it it definitely encourages you to go back and reread and see if you can catch things that you didn't pick up on the first time. How often do you get asked to reveal spoilers for the for the story? Constantly, constantly. <laughs> do you do you like do you? Is it hard to to hold it in? Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of it, too, that I don't know. Like, Nick won't tell me everything. Like, he's very secretive with his plot. Uh, but, I mean, there, there are things, there are several plot points that I know that, you know, I just can't say anything about. And, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's a little, you know, you have to bite your tongue. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned um, before to a fan that was hanging out that your brother is inside of one of the Morning Glories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there any other characters that have shown up, perhaps, in the newer class that are based off of other people that you know in real life? Oh yeah, I'm always putting my friends in the book, like uh, uh, Nick Patera, you know, Manhattan Projects. I put him in an issue where he played a security guard and got blown up and uh, dismembered. So yeah, I'll, I'll always find ways to put my friends in the book. Nice. Now, when you when you signed on to do this, when you were like you were ready to be the primary artist on this, did you know that it was? A, going to go on for, for this long, and B, that it was going to be this crazy? <laughs> well, you know, Nick told me part of the original pitch was that you know, he had to do it as an ongoing. And, you know, it's like, okay, that's fine, whatever. But, you know, the initial plan was like 75 issues, which I thought was ambitious at the time. And then, then it turned into 100 issues, and then maybe like 125, or then no, 100. Wow. So, yeah, he just he kept changing his mind. But, um, yeah, no, I had no idea that it was going to turned out to be such a an epically huge story i mean uh with as many characters like I, this is the largest cast i've ever drawn on anything so yeah that's fantastic dude what has been uh your your absolute favorite part of getting into this industry and, and writing this book like what's been the best experience the most rewarding thing uh i mean it sounds cheesy but really meeting the fans i mean uh they like we have some of the most passionate readers and fans and you know like they're really into the book and the intricacies of the story and it's really nice to to get that kind of affirmation from from people that what we're doing actually is resonating with people so that's probably been the best part yeah I mean, it's it's a story that pulls you in. If, if for the people that invest themselves, it's a highly, highly rewarding experience. Uh, it's been a fun ride, I think. I mean, for you especially, it has to be. Yeah, it's very much so. It, it's it's never boring. I mean, if it had just been a story that took place in a school, then it might be kind of boring. But the fact that we we go through so many different locations and time periods, it always kind of keeps things fresh for me. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for catching up with us, and uh, we wish you the best. We're going to keep reading Morning Glories and pipping it out on the show, and uh, we hope you have a good time at the con. Yeah, thanks. You too. All right. All right, we are back, and we're going to close out this show by talking about what's on the shelves right now. 
Mm-hmm. From Archie Comics, we've got Archie number 657. From Avatar Press, we've got Caliban. Oh, no, that's a, that's a special cover version of it. Um, the covers on that are pretty amazing. Yeah, we've got uh, Uber. No, these are all special covers. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Avatar. That You've nothing. Oh, no. Nope, nope, nope. nope. No regular books come out this week. Um, <laughs> from Boom Studios, we got Adventure Time Banana Guard Academy, number one. <laughs> Sounds very serious. Uh, we've got Empty Man, number two. Ooh. Uh, Lumberjanes, number four. Yeah. And Tom- Thomas Alsop, number two. Who is? I don't know. Who I saw, saw that? yeah, Alsop. that's one of the new Boom Archaea books. Oh, okay. Oh. I saw the cover for it when uh, whenever number one came out. It was funny. Um, I, I, Today on Twitter, Kelly Sue was complaining about how to write solicits, how much she hates it. Yeah. And then Jeff Parker... <laughs> wrote like a fake Aquaman solicit and he was like, Hey Aquamaniacs, you know, that was <laughs> <laughs> And Colin Bunn was like, This is amazing, everyone should read this and I wrote, I want to hear a a funny um, empty man solicit. And so we wrote one. It was really it was pretty funny. <laughs> He's like, Hey kids <laughs> uh, from Dark Horse Comics, we've got Abe Sapien number fourteen. Um, we've got Eerie Comics number five. Um, we've got Star Wars number nineteen um, we got The Strain Volume 1 hardcover, which is well-timed because the show is coming out. Um, Terminator Enemy of My Enemy, number four of six. Terminator Salvation, the final battle, number seven. Um, and Yusagi, Yusagi Yojimbo, color special, The Artist, one shot. X and X, number 15. I met a hardcore Yusagi Yojimbo fan in Canada this past year. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Like, super into, <laughs> like, just going on and on and on and on about him and inside the shop i was like wow like maybe i might have to read some of this (laughs) um from dc comics we've got american vampire second cycle number four Mm. batgirl number 33 we've got batman eternal number 14 birds of prey number 33 coffin hill number nine constantine number 16 detective comics number 33 fpb federal bureau of physics number 12 grayson number one you don't know dick um, <laughs> Green Lantern Corps. That's, that's the end. Number thirty-three. It gives me a chuckle. I kind of like it. It's funny because I love the writer. Tim Seeley is awesome, mm-hmm. and Mikhail Janin is like a fantastic artist. And I thought that the that preview they had in the back of the book last month looked really cool. Um, so I'm definitely gonna check it out. I just hate the tagline. Um, it, it's not even because it's crass. It's because it's too obvious. I want it a little more clever. You know? I think it's funny. Uh, from Green Lantern, we have a Green Lantern Corps number 33, Infinity Man and the Forever People number two, Injustice Gods Among Us year two number seven. We've got Justice League United number three, DC New 52 Features End number ten, New Suicide Squad number one. We've got Royals Masters of War number six of six, Smallville season eleven Lantern number four. Superboy number 33, Superman Wonder Woman number 10, and World's Finest number 25. From Dynamite Entertainment, we've got Badass number 4, Blood Queen number 2, Chaos number 2, Chastity number 1, Deja of Mars number 2, we've got Doc Savage number 7, Magnus Robot Fighter number 5, Pathfinder City of Secrets number 3, Robotech Voltron number 4, um, we've got Turok Dinosaur Hunter, number six, and Warlord of Mars, number zero. Um, from IDW, we've got Angry Birds Comics, number two. <laughs> we've got Black Dynamite, number three. G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, number 204. Judge Dredd, number 20. We've got Max Maximize, number nine. Star Slammers Remastered, number four. Star Trek, number 35. Um, and we've got Transformers. 
You know, they're, they're so irregular now. Transformers... More than meets the eye. That is correct. Wow. Number 31. Come on, it's not that big a deal. It's 50-50. <laughs> yeah, but... I've it's, got like six in a row. I mean, honestly, it is a pretty good It's run. more than six. I think it's been a it's, lot. It's been a yeah. long time, and I can't remember the last time it was actually Robots in Disguise. <laughs> um, uh, maybe uh, next time, I'm just going to say that, and if I'm wrong, I'm going to be very upset with you. <laughs> uh, 68, this is Image Comics, 68 Rule of War, number four, Death Vigil, number one, Ghosted, number 11, Great Pacific, number 16, Red City, number two, Rise of the Magi, number two. We've got the tree paperback of Rocket Girl, which is only nine ninety nine. If you guys nice. haven't hopped on that yet. Shudder, number four. Spawn, number 245. Spread, number one. And Walking Dead, number 129. Damn, it's a big day. From Marvel Comics, we've got 100th anniversary special, Spider-Man, number one. All New Invaders, number seven. All New X-Men, number 29. We've got Amazing Spider-Man, number 1.3. We've got Amazing X-Men, number nine. Avengers, number 32. Avengers Undercover, number seven. Captain Marvel, number five. Daredevil, number five. Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, number three of four. Deadpool, number 31. Deadpool Dracula's Gauntlet, number one of seven. (laughs) Fantastic Four, number seven. Um, We've got uh, Nightcrawler, number four. Original Sin, number 5.1. Original Sins, number three. Spider-Man 2099, number Number one. one. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, nice. Um, We've got... Um, United States of Murder Inc. Number three, Winter Soldier: The Bitter March. Number five of five. Last, last one. Yeah, no, last one. What a great series! It's been great. Been. Yeah, um, Wolverine. Number ten, X Force. Number seven, and that is it for Jeez. Marvel Comics. That's a big day from Oni Press. Life After. Number one and Wasteland. Number fifty six. Um, let's see from Valiant. Anything Valiant? Yes. Oh, Armor Hunters. Number two of four. We've got uh, Rye. Number three. Like the bread. Uh, like the bread. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, a very own Adam Shaw. Um, it was funny, though, because I was like, this guy is a little behind. <laughs> he was like, oh, this week's podcast. I was like, that was like a month ago. Um, from Zenoscope Entertainment, we've got Grim Fairy Tales, number 99. Grim Fairy Tales, Giant Size, 2014. Um, we've got um, Robin Hood Legend, number five. Swimsuit Special, 2014. As, as opposed to the regular issue. Yeah, yeah. Well, Every oh, issue, yeah, no, it's got to be even worse. It's got to just be strings of spaghetti or whatever, <laughs> and, and a meatball maybe. In the, in a <laughs> very, very provocative, Bob. Um, and Realm Knights: <laughs> Age of Darkness. So that is all the books that are out for you guys, or most of the books, not all of them. We're but gonna need a bigger wallet. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you mentioned Adam. We, I'd like to thank him. He sent us a package out. Oh with yeah, he some did. Real, honest to goodness, Japanese. Manga. Oh, seriously? In Japanese, yes. Mm. Right over here. Ooh. Yeah. Let's take a, take a look. Ah. And also some mini movie posters. So at some point when we sort this out, there may be some sort of a contest or yeah. a go for this sort of thing. Yeah. If you speak Japanese, let us know, too. Cause yeah, because the books are in Japanese. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. posters doesn't matter quite so much. The books are... Very interesting. Though. Yeah, no, they yeah. are. They're really cool. They're beautiful, and and I love it's. It's like it's um the the printing paper and the the size and the format is really really cool. Check out uh, Adam here with the uh, kanji return address. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Yeah, I think my mailman was definitely definitely uh, mystified. There's 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 secret <laughs> yeah. plans, Bob. It's the mani- yeah. it's the manifest. Yeah, we're coming back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're gonna... <laughs> it's it's the it's the secret location of Godzilla is included in that package. Um, all right, so if you guys want to get in touch with us, like I said before, it's at Talking Comics on Twitter, 
and facebook.com slash talking comics or podcast at talking I am at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve. I am at dead underscore anchorus Bobby, on Twitter. Sorry. Whoa, whoa, sorry, whoa, sorry. whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what did I miss? Nothing. I'm being stupid. Because I Bob, it when he said on Twitter. Bob, email. Bob, email. Well, I just have one thing to say first. Well, say it after you say your email. Okay, Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. <laughs> I don't know if you're listening, Stephanie, but I certainly want to say thank you. She sent me this lovely belated birthday gift, which is a... Actually, I, there was another one's already up on the wall. It's a Ms. Marvel number one that's actually signed by G. Willow Wilson and says, Happy birthday, Bob. Awesome. Whoa. I don't know. It looks like a second print to me. <laughs> oh, this is. It's a variant edition. Yeah. That is beautiful. That's awesome. Um, so tweet thanks to at Hello Cookie. And she'll never yeah, hear it because she doesn't, doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that is going to do it for our show uh, for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, make sure you guys tune in next week. I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about, but I'm sure it'll be something awesome. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be all good. There'll be no more it's of these true. flashing anger parties it's true. going Absolutely. on. It's true. It's true. So for Steve. Stay cool, kids. And Bob. Auf Wiedersehen. I've been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics. To be continued. <laughs>